1: I'm going to be keeping you company for the next few hours. You are not going to believe the company. This company. You're going to bankrupt your mama's company. At least I have the radio to keep me company. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan.
2: So here's the thing, Jimmy. You were gone towards the end of last week, correct? All of last week. Was it all of last week? Uh, All of last week? Because we only had three shows. Yeah, I guess you're right. So since we have talked and and you have come back from jury duty, so were you selected for jury duty or was it a three-day process and then they weeded you out?
3: No, I was weeded out very early on. I think I sent you a text message after jury duty that it turns out, because it started Monday, they don't take the judgment of people that wear team rings on their wedding band hand. Respectably, So they quickly ousted me for that. So, so I was so, able to get out of there pretty early
2: on Monday. Well, because clearly they showed that you showed you have terrible judgment. Correct. Exactly. So you were out Monday. You were released from jury duty. Sure. Then, but you were not here Tuesday and Wednesday. Correct.
3: Well, they, they, they realized
2: my... Did the company give you a three-day jury duty pass? They is did. They was? told me,
3: hey, we think it's probably going to take a couple days. And if it doesn't, you know what? Just take some time
2: we realize that a trial like that could rattle you well and so guess what back. postcard i might find in the mail tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> uh well, since you were here last Here's what's happened. Not a lot, right? Yeah, nothing. But since we talked last, the Colts have moved moved themselves into the playoffs. Their last coach actually now has been fired from his most recent job. The Indiana football program has decided that they are actually going to fire their coach. They're looking for a new head coach. Some think it's a guy that at one time was rumored to be the head coach of the Colts, and he might be in the running for it. Uh, Purdue has become the number one ranked team in – college basketball, and Indiana's five-star freshman finally showed some competency, and so they beat an Ivy League team, and the Pacers play tonight. And in the span of when I was gone, Shaq Leonard was let go. The
3: Pacers clinched their group in the in-season right. tournament. Things are rolling. They, they could score a lot of points. Uh, Jim Ursa uh, went crazy on Twitter. Correct. That, that, too. that
2: happened as well, yes.
3: A lot to cover Jim Mercer going
2: Jim say going nuts on Twitter feels like three and a half months ago, or is it because he probably did the same thing three and a half <laughs> months ago, but doesn't it feel like that was forever ago? Yes, it does. Uh, so let's begin with this. Good afternoon to you here on a Monday. My name is Jake Corey. That is Jimmy Cook back in the mix. It is Corey and company here on 93.5, 5, 107.5 The Fan. As Jimmy had mentioned, happy Thanksgiving as the, was the Thanksgiving weekend. Long weekend for everybody, and back in the saddle, we thank you for allowing us to be part of reacclimating to the work week. And the big topic of conversation is that of the fact that after yesterday now, and there's a lot to talk about today, Don Fisher will join us in about 30 minutes, and we will talk about not only Indiana basketball, but the coaching search for Indiana football. A couple of names that I think are really in the mix that I have not heard a lot of people mention as being in the mix, but I think they are generating conversation internally. We'll get to all of that coming up. Uh, The Pacers in action tonight, taking on the Blazers at the Fieldhouse. We'll touch on that just a bit in the show today. And as Jimmy had mentioned, the in-season tournament, and they continue to play well in terms of the teams they're playing against In that particular thing, which oftentimes you can tell just by looking at the floor that that's what it is. Uh, Frank Reich is out as the head coach of the Carolina Panthers after just 11 games. He is the sixth coach in NFL history to be fired midway through his first season, or I shouldn't say midway through, to be fired before completing his first season with the franchise that terminated him. Um, So Reich is out in Carolina, and Tom Allen out in Indiana. But the Colts now, if you look at the NFL, last night I'm watching, Jimmy, did you watch Buffalo and Philadelphia?
3: I caught the final six minutes of that game. Which is about
2: all you needed to see, right? Yeah. Got the highlights throughout, but the final six minutes, we were locked in. Two things about that game that drove me nuts. Number one, I think I have been open about the fact, if, if those are unfamiliar with it, uh, that I'm kind of a fan of Josh Allen. I like the way he plays. I think he's a fun player. I think he's exciting, and, and I... It's amazing the number of games that I've watched where Josh Allen leads Buffalo down the field in miraculous fashion to force an overtime and then has to sit while the other team comes down, scores, and ends the game, right?
3: They have a person assigned to every CBS or Fox control room, and their lone job is to communicate with the fellow cameramen on the sidelines saying, hey... Get the sad Josh shot lined up because totally. they've just scored no, to go up with 90 seconds to play, and we need that shot when the game is over.
2: But yesterday when that happened, now they are heading into a bye week, are the Buffalo Bills. With as many wins as the Colts. <laughs> but the Buffalo Bills are in fact now 6-6, six and six, the Colts at 6-5. and five. That means that for right now... If the playoffs were to begin today, which they don't, so it's probably a – but if the playoffs were were to begin today, the Indianapolis Colts are in the
3: playoffs, right? They are. The seventh seed is theirs. They would have a matchup with Kansas City if if things ended today and the Chiefs played one less game than everybody else. Buffalo's
2: remaining schedule. So if you look at Buffalo and you go, okay, Buffalo's pretty good. I would think that that's one – that the Colts are going to be perhaps slugging it out with to try to get up to reserve a playoff spot. Buffalo's remaining schedule. They have a bye week and then at Kansas City versus the Cowboys, at the Chargers, versus the Patriots, and then at Miami to close it out. The Colts right now sitting at 6-5 and five behind the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The... That right now would be the wild card. Houston sits right behind Indianapolis. Of course, those two yet to play one another. And then Denver, who is was left for dead, and then here are the Broncos that have won five straight. Broncos' remaining schedule. One would think when you look at where Denver was a year ago, the remaining schedule would be fairly favorable. It is, in fact, the following. The remaining schedule for the Denver Broncos at Houston, at the Chargers, at Detroit, and then the Patriots, the Chargers, and at the Raiders. Pretty manageable, one would think. Feels like Cincinnati probably is, you know, they've been shuttled out to outside the party, and it's the odds are high that they're not gonna, the bouncer's not going to let them back in, right?
3: A lot of people like the you-control-your-own-destiny analogy. A lot of fans take comfort in that. I don't know if teams really do, but there's some aspect to, hey, as long as you win out or you win your games, you're probably going to be fine. There's a couple different – couple different simulators out there. I'm not going to run through all of them right now, but that just control what the Colts do. If you go 5-1 over your next six, you're pretty much in. It's a lot. Oh, it's I like a 99% yeah, sure. chance for, sure. for you to get in. If you lose two, the numbers change depending on who you lost to. Colts' remaining schedule is what, Jimmy? Titans on the road. Okay. At the Bengals. Okay. At
2: home against the Steelers. Okay. Let's, let's just say... Fluky, cr- weird game. They lose that game. Okay. They lose the Steelers game.
3: Okay. okay. So two and one at the Falcons, a home against the Raiders at home against the Texans.
2: I'll even say they'll lose the Texans game just for the sake of you know, still right there. If, four you, and two.
3: if you lose Steelers and Texans in that range, again, just focusing on the Colts, not worried about anything else that happens in the other games throughout that week's span, 59% chance to get in. If those are the two games you lose here is the The Texans impact
2: that Jake because how close they are with records remaining schedule for the Pittsburgh Steelers okay Arizona New England here to play the Colts the Bengals at Seattle and at Baltimore who by then may well have everything clenched and resting everybody so it's pretty favorable for Pittsburgh in terms of their schedule but nonetheless yesterday big win for the Colts you know is it a big win when it's over the Tampa Bay Bucks? I don't know about that but they they were big in areas kind of where they needed to be. They got a key takeaway. Michael Pittman Jr. was the guy that many people have always known that he can be, and, and more often than not probably is, but he was a dynamic player yesterday, no question about it, um, for weeks, and a good win for him, right?
3: For weeks, I've been upset about the snap count at times with Jonathan Taylor and whether or not he should be getting all of the carries and how many should Zach Moss be getting. And yesterday, when looking back at it, at least on paper, you might say, oh, it was kind of an even split in terms of snap counts, 42 to 30 in a perfect world. When you saw everything that Zach Moss is able to do in Jonathan Taylor's stead, and you know the type of running back that Jonathan Taylor is 15 carries for Jonathan Taylor for 91 yards, about six yards a carry, eight carries for 55 yards, just under seven yards a carry for Zach Moss. That's a perfect blend right there. Like If that's what ends up happening for the Colts, and I'm sure it's just situational football, depending on what the game script allows and riding the hot hand at times, of course, but if that is the split you're talking about between those two backs, that is extremely palatable because they both are able to attack defense in different ways. Now, obviously, Jonathan Taylor gets two scores, which is big for the Colts in the entire form of how that game went, but even though I've been big on Jonathan Taylor should be the workhorse, Zach Moss has proven that he's talented enough to get a couple carries here and there, that's a nice split, and I felt like it provided a nice balance for the Colts in terms of how they were attacking Tampa Bay in the running game.
2: The Tampa was is interesting to me, Jimmy, because coming in – and I've said this about games a couple of other times on the schedule where it felt like it was two teams that that was the boulder in the stream that was going to kind of – like the separating line, if you will. That probably – officially, like, gets Tampa kind of off to the side within the NFC, even though the NFC is a little bit different, especially that division, right? But for the Colts, it was one of those games that with a win, Jimmy, it doesn't necessarily, you know, knock your socks off, but they couldn't afford to lose that game, right? And that's the thing I think that was impressive about it. They knew they had to win. They went in. They took care of business. They did what they had to do. There was nothing overly sexy about it. And you ever have weeks – you ever have days like this every once in a while? Like – Shannon will say to me, how was your day? And I'll say, you know what? I'll be honest with you. It's fine. There's not a single thing about today that one year from now I'll remember. Yeah, I've had days like that, sure. That game yesterday was fine, right? Yep. It was fun. People that went probably had a good time. There's very little about that game that like three weeks from now we're going to look back on and go, remember that moment? Yeah. Remember that? It just kind of, yeah, it was there. It was there. It was fine. And was to
3: here at Boulder in the stream point, that's pretty much the Colts schedule the rest of the way. It's a lot of teams that are in that same position as Tampa Bay was in terms of who's going left, who's going right. Are the Colts continuing their playoff push or is this team going to get off the bat? Maybe not so much as Tennessee, but Cincinnati is still trying to keep its head above water, even though all things considered, their their season's done. Like, their, I don't mean their season's done as in they can't squeak into playoffs, but their season is done in terms of where their expectations were. We knew that when Joe Burrow went down, but you look at the rest of the way of teams that they play Bengals, Steelers, Falcons are still in the conversation with the fight for the NFC South, the Raiders and the Texans. Those are all teams where it's going to be bolder in the stream games like that, where it's a choose your own adventure novel for the Colts. Is this playoff push still continuing, or are you going to let this other team continue on their journey?
2: The, um, the, the the fascinating thing and and I had somebody ask me this yesterday I want to point this out cuz I think it's a very fair point somebody asked me yesterday they sent me a text and they said when is the media locally going to admit they were wrong that the Colts were never tanking and I said let me explain something here no one myself included John you Kevin Andy, Stephen Holder, Mike Chappell, is going to join us coming up in 45 minutes. Chris Hagen, Lara Overton, Matt Taylor. You can go on and on. Anthony Calhoun, Dave Calabro. Go on and on, right? No one said they were tanking. What has always been said, and I will continue to say, is that the 2023-2024 Colts season was about – like, you know when they do those end-of-year videos? They used to do them on DVD. They wouldn't do that anymore, yeah. obviously. And they send them out to season ticket holders. Or they have, like, the end-of-year uh, John Facenda, and then later the guy that was the voice of the Phillies w- would voice those things for NFL films. The 2023 Colts. That's Maybe. where you get to remember that Bucks game. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah, I remember exactly. that. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That video... When they started out in the little NFL music, NFL films music comes on, they would say, the 23 Colts, building towards the future. And that's what this year has always been about. Yeah. It wasn't about sacrificing the season towards getting Marvin Harrison Jr. It was about building for Anthony Richardson. And then Richardson goes down. So you go, okay. So we're going to see, there's a reason we went out and got Gardner Minshew. We're going to try to win some games with him. We're going to see what happens. And we are going to analyze and assess our roster and put guys in position to find out what we have building around for the future. And the thing that I have always said is that you just want to make sure the Colts are not compromising that for the now. And I think this franchise, there is precedent, as I've talked about before, with Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck in his rookie year played really well and the Colts found success, and people were like, oh, my gosh, holy cow, like they're they're going to be in the playoffs. They, th- this is a magical season. It, you had, it was terrible with what happened with you know, different stuff going on, but here they are like, wow, th- this is totally different than what I anticipated, okay? And, and we didn't think they'd be this good this early but they were. And so the Colts then made the mistake of saying, we're here and we are all chips in and we are pushing in and we are here. We've arrived, baby. Andrew Luck is the guy. We're going all in. And they went out and they speak, Griggs is backing up the Brinks truck, wheeling and dealing. And here came the tweets of a whopper and a seismic tidal wave coming and et cetera, et cetera. And you end up, they go out and they get Ricky Jean-Francois and Gosder Sherliss and LaRon Landry and and all of these players. And then in addition to that, they then go out and eventually get Andre Johnson and Frank Gore. And it was very clear that they were putting in established what they thought to be proven, ready-to-win-now players to, to put in around their future pillar quarterback. And then when those players fell off a cliff and got old overnight and went away, then all of a sudden they realized, wait a minute, the guys now that we have to put into that situation aren't used to playing, and it's a house of cards, and we can't keep our quarterback healthy, and we're going to have to s- scratch and start over. So this year from the beginning, Jimmy, has been all about making sure organically that you are building pieces around Anthony Richardson. Richardson then gets hurt early and goes out. Okay, fine. Let's see what the pieces are that we have and do the best we can with them, but make sure that we are not compromising the future by just going out and instead of Juju Brent's putting in, you know, somebody else or, you know, or signing a free agent or, or trade deadline stuff. And to the Colts' credit, they have been patient. And to Chris Ballard's credit, who we have knocked a lot, myself included, he has built a roster that without its centerpiece at quarterback is one that is competent. Elite, no, but competent.
3: I've never said that I thought the Colts were going to take this year. You already mentioned that none of us publicly said that. I merely said that in terms of where teams go in the NFL – too often do you get trapped in this vat of mediocrity where you're just good enough to maybe sniff a playoff spot, but you're not good enough to have a top draft pick. And for the Colts, when you look at them game by game this season, if they make the playoffs at this point, that's awesome because they're too far gone now for a draft pick of higher caliber to be worth attaining. And secondly, you look at the wins that they have this year. The Ravens one is classic. Man, how did they pull that off? The Ravens are the one seed right now in the AFC. How did they win that game? It's like the Chiefs win a year ago. It's like, wow, that that is any given Sunday football, a gutsy win by the Colts. The rest of their wins. The Texans, before they were really C.J. Stroud, superstar road, right? That was early in week two. The Titans, dumpster fire. The Panthers just fired Frank Reich. The Patriots, if Bill Belichick didn't have all the success that he did, he would probably be gone. And the Buccaneers, who are a team that is fighting for a playoff spot in a division where somebody has to win the division. Now, that's not on the Colts. You play who's on your schedule. And they are a competent football team. Jake is 100% right on that. My larger issue, though, is I don't want this, and I don't think it will be, I don't want this to be the trend with this franchise moving forward. Your hope is once Anthony Richardson gets back and if you draft well and like Jake mentioned, you don't overcorrect and maybe go all chips in a year early, if you let it happen organically, that you're not going to be in this scenario again where you're uh, just good enough to get in and then there's likely a beatdown on Super Wildcard Sunday heading around the corner. But to stress to everybody, tanking might happen in other leagues. It does not happen in the NFL. And if it does, it's very few and far between. Well, because you have so many players that are fighting for their future in this league and coaches that are doing the same thing.
2: Jimmy, they tanked when they got Andrew Luck.
3: Sure. Like I said, few. there there are some examples, uh, but
2: for the most part,
3: right. it doesn't happen in the NFL.
2: But either way, it's cool. It's fun that the, the here the Colts are. You know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth if you're the, sure. if you're fans of the Colts, right? Like, hey, kudos to them. They're right there. They're in the thick of it. Does anybody realistically think that they're like an AFC title contender? Probably not. But if nothing else, you know, this stretch down the way here is a, a really solid building block for the Colts. And again, we thought this year was going to be about reps for Anthony Richardson and getting Anthony Richardson used to playing in the NFL and building on it. Instead, this year has been about building and conditioning, and I'm not going to use the word culture because I think it's overrated, but building and conditioning a roster and a locker room that becomes accustomed to winning and competing, and having that now be the situation that Anthony Richardson is walking into. And what a huge advantage for the quarterback early in his career to now go into a situation where he's with guys that believe they can win in the league. As opposed to guys that are like, I don't know what I'm doing here either.
3: Adam Archuleta yesterday, I believe it was him and Sparrow on the call. I could be wrong if he wasn't the color guy on there, but whoever the color in us was, I'm pretty sure it was Archuleta. He said the following, Jake, and I want to get your thoughts on it because when he said it, I thought, all right, that's a little bit of a reach. Still plenty of games left for this to be an ultimatum game. He said that with where Shane Steichen, and he gave plenty of credit to Shane Steichen, that where he's positioned the Colts right now with – Six games now to play. Seven yesterday. Anything but making the playoffs is a failure. And I think he was referencing the competency of the team, it appears right now, what Steichen's been able to do in year one, and the schedule that's left in front of them. And after that win over the Bucks, I mean, I'm not going to say, like, not calling for his head, right? But I'm so, talking about season by season, a goal that you have for this team. I don't think that's unreasonable to say that with what is in front of you in terms of this path, they should get to the playoffs. I want to make that clear. I'm not saying like, oh, no, the Colts are in a wrong position as organization if they don't make it. But I just thought that point of what's left in front of them and this opportunity to get back to the playoffs that is in front of them, it would be disappointing if they don't get there now with where we're at.
2: The other big news that took place, and we'll talk plenty about the Colts. Mike Chappell joining us at 1 o'clock today, by the way. Um, oh, the other thing about the end of the Bills game that drove me nuts, aside from seeing like the ending that everybody knew was coming, yeah. of going into overtime, Buffalo scoring, and then Philly, you could see, was going to come right down the field. And Jalen Hurts on the last play, as he did the draw, I could hear Rick Venturi go, oh, my God. <laughs> it, it, wide open, right? is yeah. right in. Uh, can someone let – Garrett, Jason Garrett or Tarrico No, it's okay to call him Allen or Josh Allen. They called him Josh the entire game. Uh, Drove me crazy. Nance and Romo, huh? Nance and Romo. Was it Nance and yeah? Tarrico and
3: Garrett did the night game. They you, you're did. Right, Raven you're
2: Chargers. right. My, my, my bad. Nance and Romo. You're right. Romo called him Josh the entire time. And Nance. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Like literally the entire time. Yep. And I get it. I mean, he's probably on a first name basis, so Romo's probably even done like some coaching for him. They played golf together, for sure. But I'm like, "Oh my gosh, like it's Josh, like he's not Josh to me, right? I don't know him. He's Josh Allen. He's Allen." Well, Josh did this, Josh did that. They don't do that for every player, so <laughs> why why do they single one out? Drives me nuts. Uh the other big story, Tom Allen. And yesterday late, I got kind of a kick out of it. Um I got a a message yesterday from somebody that said, you know who'd be a great hire for Indiana? You know, John Gruden. And Gruden Gruden has history with Indiana. And Gruden's name has certainly been floated around with Indiana before years ago. I personally don't think that Gruden would be a serious candidate for Indiana simply because. And I do think that John Gruden is, you know, clearly he's he can coach. He knows the game. He's been around it. People, players would know who he is. But what I find interesting, John Gruden was removed as the head coach of the Raiders under the controversy of emails that were, you know, whether they were racist or homophobic, I can't remember, the misogynistic. Some of them might have been like forwarding along jokes or whatever else. I'm not excusing it, but I'm saying I, I, there's a difference between getting on your computer and typing stuff out of your own personal feelings and emotions that are negative and forwarding stuff. I, I don't know which it was is what I'm getting at. Either way, really in poor taste, especially from an NFL franchise's you know email address, whatever else. I'm not excusing any of it. As a matter of fact, I'll take it one step further to say this. There, there probably have been times where people have lost their job or changes have been made where they were made an example of, or maybe people overreacted or over um, penalized an action. And more often than not, that kind of comes out. To me, it speaks volumes about the fact that since John Gruden was removed from the Raiders, John Gruden, a guy who was ubiquitous within the American football culture, he was spoofed on Fox by... Frank Caliendo, he was spoofed on Saturday Night Live. He was a mainstay on ESPN. He was one of the faces of ESPN year-round in terms of football stuff, in terms of the quarterback clinics that he would do with, with guys coming out of college. You couldn't swing a dead cat around something having to do with football and not see John Gruden. And to me, it speaks volumes about the fact that since his removal, you have not heard from him at all.
3: Nowhere. Not on a panel, not as an analyst, not as an assistant coach. Of all of
2: the people that he would know well, of all of the allies and acquaintances he would have, of all of the people he worked with, of all of the people that would seemingly be there to have his back, of all of the people that would be of influence within the game of football that would be able to step up and go, you know, John's not a bad guy. Uh, That was a misunderstanding. Of all of those opportunities, you've heard this from him nothing to me that shows not only that people were just like yeah it's probably best to let that sleeping dog lie but in addition to that that John Gruden himself knew yeah I I mean I did something that was pretty bad and I'm not gonna fight it I'm not gonna argue it I'm just gonna ride off into the sunset so for that reason I just think that there are enough options out there that it's not in the best interest of Indiana to go out and, and go there um I personally think Paul Christ of Wisconsin is a name, uh, the formerly of Wisconsin, he coached at Pitt as well. I think he's a really good coach. I think he would be fabulous. He knows the Big Ten. Um, that would be a candidate that I would take a long, hard look at if I'm Indiana. I think Pat Fitzgerald of Northwestern, there are some people internally that would like to see Pat Fitzgerald get a look. Uh, Fitzgerald's another one. I, you know, the, the recruiting, or, or excuse me, the, the hazing allegations against him, how much of a cloud is that? You know, I don't know. You'd have to investigate that, but I think there are some players, um, when I say players, I mean of people of juice around Indiana football that would like to see Pat Fitzgerald get a look. Antoine Randall L, I know Kevin talked about him, you know, kind of falls into that category of like, do you need a young guy with some excitement, some sexiness about him that can bring some excitement for the fan base? But how much does a sixteen year old kid today know about Antoine Randall L? You know, it's different than Deion Sanders, right? And then you got guys, obviously from Toledo or Tulane, you know, that are out there that would be that have experience as a head coach. You've got young coordinators like at Michigan or Mike Hart, who has connection to uh, the state of Indiana. That that could be a guy in the mix. So there are a lot of names out there that we'll talk about over the next um, couple of days probably when it comes to Indiana football. Speaking of that, Indiana football looking for a new coach. Their basketball team was looking for a win. They got one last night. And the voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher will join us next to discuss that and more here on Quarian Company on a Monday, ninety-three-five one zero seven-five. The Fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: It's Monday. It's 1230. It's Fish. The voice
0: of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, joining
1: Query & Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
2: Okay, we're back. It is 1230 here in Indianapolis. That means it's time for Don Fisher to join us. The voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. And as I mentioned, you know, it's one of those weekends that felt like it lasted a month because we haven't been with you since Wednesday. But Don Fisher, let's begin with this. You had, and we talked about it last time we talked, um, you had a ton going on. And then you throw in the fact that there obviously was news within the Indiana football program. So I'm going to start with the bucket game and football in general. Um, we now know that Tom Allen is the former Indiana football coach, and he issued a statement essentially thanking fans for his time. And I thought it was interesting because he essentially said, the landscape of Indiana football has, ch- or, or college football has changed, and I hope that Indiana embraces that. He's not wrong, for sure, Don, as we know, talking about the transfer portal and NIL. We've had that discussion before. I thought it was a really classy comment from Tom Allen, but if we were to read further into the things that he said – what do you think is the complexity of college football that Indiana needs to continue to accelerate their acceptance of?
4: Well, it is a, as you say, complex scenario. And that's, that's the big question mark right now. Uh, you've got to get uh, a new coach hired. You've got to get a staff hired. You've got uh, transfer pol- guys already uh, announcing that they're going, going to the transfer portal. You've got to re-recruit those guys, hopefully. Um, There are so many things that are happening right now, but I think Tom was alluding to the fact that the big problem right now is the NIL scenario and how much money they have available in that area uh, for football. And at Indiana, there's no tradition, none that you can speak of that's uh, modern at this juncture uh, of winning. There, there's there's a problem there. Obviously, it makes it more difficult to recruit kids out of the portal if you don't have enough NIL money. Uh, I think he's alluding to all of those kinds of things uh, that are issues at Indiana University right now. And that's the conundrum that uh, Scott Dolson has to deal with at this point. It is a very difficult Change that you're making at this point. Obviously, the money that you gave up to Tom Allen was negotiated down a little bit, so that helps in that area. But it's still huge in the sense of, of what you have to put out to get a new coach to come to Indiana. And, of course, that depends on the name value of the coach and all those kinds of things as well. So there there are so many things that are going into this right now. At, at a time when Indiana has had three straight years that you won two games Four games, three games, and uh, there aren't too many people excited about Indiana football. Take a look at the last uh, stadium <laughs> attendance for Indiana University. I think they announced some thirty thousand or something like that, but there probably wasn't more than thirteen or fourteen thousand in the stands that day. And there's there's no question it's a problem right now for this program. And Scott Dolson has a huge huge hire on his hands but he must get right don if you were and
2: i guess there's two ways to go with this right you know if if it were put up to you and i know it's not but if it if, if it was or if you were asked to, to opine on it do you think indiana would be better served going and getting like a young upstart coach that kind of has that that grasp or is this program in such a state where they need somebody with vast head coaching experience that can come in and immediately just kind of take command and corral things.
4: You know, I I can't even venture a guess on that, Jake. I simply can't. I, I don't know what the answer is at IU. We've tried about everything, and I say we I say, Indiana we've, University. We've been, been looking tried. for that
2: answer for a half century, right, Don?
4: <laughs> exactly. That that's the whole point. Um, I, there, there's no there's no easy answer. Um, the key here is to find the right guy, the guy with the, the same kind of passion that Tom Allen had, but, but an understanding of what right now you have to be able to do to become a, a consistent winner. And at Indiana, uh, to get fans excited again, you simply have to have basically a winning season at this point. I mean, at, after three years of what we've just seen uh, and the struggles that Tom has had uh, in producing winning seasons – Right now, everybody's just hoping that they can find somebody that can get us back to even, maybe a 6-6 and year and get to a bowl game again. Um, And and it hasn't been that long since we've been to one. Obviously, Tom Allen took us to two, uh, four, and five years ago. But at this juncture, uh, there's really a negative vibe around Indiana football. There's no question about it. And the biggest question mark right now coming in, whoever the coach is, can you save – a lot of these guys from going into the portal because your best players are probably going to announce for that
3: voice. Of the Hoosiers Don Fisher is our guest, Don. This might be another question you can't answer. And if you can, we'll, we'll, we'll pivot somewhere else. They go. Oh, and three to close the year one and four in their last five. Let's focus on the three. They lost to close the year 48, 45 against Illinois 24, 21 against Michigan state. And then the gut wrenching one of them all against Purdue in the old Oaken bucket game. A, if they win any of those, does his job security change? And B, if they win just on Saturday and capture the old Oaken bucket, does any of it change in terms of your sense of where conversations were with his future?
4: I I don't know. (laughs) You asked me to pivot, and I'm my pivot foot. I'm not traveling. (laughs)
3: i appreciate you you kept the possession i I appreciate that
2: don you could take a euro step which uh, apparently from what i've seen in basketball that's four steps right Uh, yeah it is you can change your pivot for three times from what i've been able to tell lately Um, so let's pivot to the hoosiers you know in terms of basketball i thought uh, against harvard it's, it's interesting i caught your call at the end of the game and You know, look, That was you had mentioned, I I think you made a really good point when you were kind of signing off at the end of the game yesterday by saying, look, Harvard's a darn good basketball team. This is a team that's going to win a lot of games in the Ivy League. We know they're well coached. But it's a game that Indiana going into it probably should, as they did win. Um, Had to make some adjustments in the second half to get that win. What was your overall, I guess, just assessment and reaction to how they handled Harvard yesterday?
4: Well, I liked what I saw because we we got another – very solid performance from the bench um, in the previous in the games leading up to Connecticut and the Connecticut game itself Indiana got very little from their bench not much production whatsoever whether it was uh, solid production from a scoring standpoint or rebounding, whatever the case may be it wasn't that great the Louisville game following Connecticut they got a terrific performance from the bench and they had a strong performance yesterday off the bench as well. Xavier Johnson going out late in the first half out of the ball game. And still you were able to sustain what you were trying to get done throughout the second half of the contest. So I, I just thought that the bench play really improved over the last two ball games, which we knew it needed to, and it had to, if this team was going to be what we think it can be someplace down the line. And then on top of that, You had a starter like Mackenzie Baco, who finally untracked a little bit, got the playing time deserved because he played like he deserved it out there on the floor, both offensively and defensively, scored 18 points, which is obviously a career high for him. And then you had another great effort out of Khalil Ware, who had his best performance as a college basketball player with his 28 points, missing one shot the entire day. Um, I just thought they made progress once again, which is what all – That's really what all Mike Woodson is looking for right now is a step up the ladder in each game they play, whether it be, uh, you know, in rebounding, scoring the basketball, uh, guarding the three-point line, which has been a consistent problem for much of the season through at least a half of almost every ball game and sometimes throughout. But yesterday they shut him down in the second half of the three-point shot. So it shows you that these guys are starting to understand a little bit what Woodson is after and what he's trying to get out of these guys and I just think you're you're in a position right now where you're making progress and you want to continue that climb as you get into Big Ten play, which starts, incidentally, on Friday.
2: Don, every team, I mean, whether we're talking NBA or college, Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, is our guest. Every team has a guy that people on the outside that, that aren't watching every game would look at Look at the box. He does the things that don't show up in the box score. You know, the guy that, like, people don't realize their their significance or their importance towards just kind of being the cohesive piece that everything flows off of. For Indiana, have they figured out yet who that guy is? Like, who is the guy that if you were to watch practice or just watch the team in general – that all the players kind of feed off of, even though he is not putting up the box score level contributions of like a Khalil Ware or a Malik Renew.
1: I
4: think the guy that I've seen do that the most thus far has been Anthony Walker. Uh, I like what I see from this kid. He's a really good athlete. Um, he uh, he's played uh, solid basketball every time he's been in the ball game. Uh, there have been points where he hasn't played as great as, as what Mike Woodson would have asked of him, but at the same time, uh, he has had really two back-to-back ball games now where he's really performed well. He had nine points yesterday on three-for-four shooting. Uh, in the game prior to that, he was he scored eleven points and had seven rebounds. Um, and he's giving him solid play at the defensive end of the floor because he's a long guy and, and he can guard probably three positions out of the floor, actually four, um, most of the time. So I, I really like what I've seen from Walker. I think Caleb Banks can be that guy too because I think Caleb is more of the shooting threat. Uh, and when he's been in the ball game, like yesterday, it was in there briefly, uh, and yet he knocked down two threes in the contest that were really critical in the first half. And then, of course, uh, in the ball game prior to that, uh, Caleb Banks said uh, another solid game, even though he didn't score a lot of points. He had eight rebounds, three assists, three steals, and three block shots. So those are the two guys right now I would pick right now that I would say are guys coming off the bench that you can really rely on.
2: Tom, one of the things I've always enjoyed about listening to Indiana basketball broadcasts, and I, I I've always enjoyed – the interviews that you do with coaches pregame that that runs as part of the pregame show. And oftentimes that is included with talking to the other coach for, you know, for the opponent. Right. And getting their viewpoint, their vantage point on their rep, you know, what they see out of Indiana or what they see out of their own team, et cetera. Strictly curious, my own curiosity. Tell me an opposing coach that fans would be surprised because maybe just due to the natural instincts of rivalry, they might not like, or they cheer against that guy's team. But in reality, you have always thought to yourself when you interviewed him, that guy's a true professional. And I've always enjoyed the way he, he conducts the interviews and, and in talking to him is usually a pleasure.
4: Well, there are two right now, actually three, to be honest with you. And one, you'd be surprised that I'm sure, but the, the other, the two previous or the two that I was alluding to initially are Matt Painter and Tom Izzo. And both those guys, I mean, I've known Tom Izzo since he was a graduate assistant under Judd Heathcote. We met uh, at uh, at an Indiana Classic basketball game back back in the day when uh, Tom was just out scouting, when you could still scout as an assistant coach or a graduate assistant. Uh, And we sat together for the first time at one of those ball games and sat there and talked before our contest was underway for about a half an hour that day. And we became friends at that point. And uh, he's been that great ever since to deal with. And then Matt Painter, who Indiana recruited heavily during his high school career uh, until the very end and gave that scholarship to Todd Leary. Uh, Matt Painter, uh, has been an, he was an Indiana fan growing up. He wanted to come to IU. He didn't get that scholarship. Gene Cady gave it to him. And you would think he would, might be a little bit bitter about that. He's never acted that way at all. And our relationship has been strong for a long, long time now. And so those three guys, I would say, Fran McCaffrey would be the third. (laughs) And nobody thinks, why would you say that about Fran McCaffrey? He's nuts. Well, Fran McCaffrey is a guy that I got a chance to talk to when he first got the job. And we talked about his days at Notre Dame and Digger Phelps and all those kinds of things and just kind of just developed a really nice relationship. But most of the Big Ten coaches, surprisingly enough, will do interviews with us for our pregame show. Some of the guys in football, a lot of the guys in football no longer do that. But still, most of the basketball coaches in the Big Ten do those interviews, and I am truly appreciative.
2: You know, Don, one of the things about Izzo that I think, and I'm going to sound like the old guy here, that I think a lot of young people could could pay attention to, Tom Izzo early in his career, you know, there's legendary stories about Izzo basically watching – you know, through chain link fences watching tournaments and things like that and just being just doing whatever he could to be around. I always got the impression that Izzo was a guy that never felt that a task was beneath him did whatever he had to do to keep his foot in the door and just until opportunity presented itself and then once once it did i think people respected it and i remember back when i was in college people were like man this guy from the up up in michigan like people love him he's energetic and he does whatever he has to do and i and that's why i've always been happy for his success because he he was a guy that did whatever he had to do and i always thought that was a cool story
4: well there's no question uh and tom is just a class act he really is and despite all of the struggles Michigan State has dealt with here <laughs> off the court over the last several years now, uh, he has remained that guy. He's not taken any offense or, uh, or anything like that to things that are said in regard to Michigan State, but he is a true Michigan State Spartan. There's no question about that. He exemplifies what you want to see in a basketball coach because he's a tough, hard-nosed guy, and he will deal tough with his players every now and then, but his players respect him. It's much the same scenario you talk about with a guy like Bill Mallory back in the football era of Indiana when it was at its best since I've been here. And uh, honestly, uh, I think that kind of respect is is oozed by just about everybody that knows Tom.
2: Finally, a little bit of a reprieve for the schedule of Don Fisher. Hoosiers against Maryland opening up Big Ten play. That is going to be on Friday, 7 o'clock. And, of course, you can hear it over on our sister station, 93 WIBC. Don, a pleasure
4: as always. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Don't forget, we got Inside IU Basketball tonight with Mike Woodson.
2: Inside Indiana Basketball. As a matter of fact, that takes place tonight. 10.30, I believe, actually, is when <laughs> that will air uh, on this station. Isn't that right? I'm looking That's at That's
4: right, because there's a delay because of the Pacer game.
2: That's right. So, after the Pacer game, right here with Mike Woodson. Don, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. All right, Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Again, 10.30 tonight, Inside IU Basketball. That, obviously, is recorded with Mike Woodson um, live down in Bloomington, and then airs replays here after the Pacer game. Speaking of the Pacer game, we'll talk a little bit about that and then Mike Chappell joining us top of the hour here on The Fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan.
2: Carl is spinning up a little sound garden for us here on a Monday. It's kind of good Seattle weather out there. Works well. Little Spoon Man for you. Uh, hey, Jake, quick question here that somebody just texted me. Really good question. I was on hold, but just wanted to ask a quick question. Is there any chance that next year the Colts go with Taylor and Moss as kind of a one-two punch in terms of the running game? What is Zach Moss's contract status? Really good question. And one of the questions, Jimmy, that Chris Ballard is going to have to take a look at because Zach Moss is an unrestricted free agent for next year. But he played like it was a contract year. And whether or not that means that Indianapolis decides that they, you know, he may, the challenge may be that Zach Moss, there may be a a team out there that wants to get him as a feature back because he played well, you know, before Taylor returned and he has played well even with with that complimentary piece. Question is, are they going to be able to pay him for that kind of a role when he might be seeking something bigger elsewhere?
5: Look,
3: we just saw with Jonathan Taylor and that's at the top of the market what the running back market is right now. Zach Moss has been a fun player. He has played like it's been a contract year for him. I hope he gets paid somewhere. I hope he gets a, an increase in salary and he will because he's making about 1.1 this year, you know, on on, on the back end of that deal that started in Buffalo. Don't get in a bidding war for Zach Moss. If someone pays for him, that's fine. You could find second-string running backs. He's been nice. He's been great. If what you lined out happens and somebody pays him, feature back money. Don't get in a bidding war for him.
2: What was your favorite thing you ate at Thanksgiving? The sweet potatoes.
1: Okay.
3: This year, sweet with sweet potatoes.
2: You put the the, your sweet potato things come with a little marshmallows on top. Yes. Okay.
3: Shout out to my wife, Haley. She made those. Nice. So,
2: they were delicious. Do sweet potatoes have something in them that sweetens them? Do you put like a brown sugar A lot of people
3: add like a brown sugar or something okay. to sweeten them a little bit, yeah.
2: All right. Yep. I, I actually didn't have any of the sweet potatoes at our offering. They were there, just didn't have them. But thank you to uh, Andrew, his mother, Pat, that came to Thanksgiving. Uh, Renee was there as well. We had a, we had a fun time thinking to my sister, Juge, for hosting. Mike Chappell, the dean of writer's... When it comes to the Colts, WXIN CBS4 joins us next.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
2: One o'clock hour underway. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook here as well. Carl Showbiz, we call him that because he is a native of Los Angeles and just humble bragged that he lived, walked out of his condo. and And by the way, he said condo, not apartment. Have you been to Los Angeles, Jimmy? I have. A condo in Los Angeles is what we like. That's a separator word. Well, a condo is, so like if what we consider an apartment is a condo in Los Angeles, Sure. what we consider a condo is a house in Los Angeles, what we consider a house is a mansion in Los Angeles. (laughs) But nonetheless, residency (laughs) in the Los Angeles area, impressive. But Carl pointed out that he would walk out of his condo and the first step that he would take was right there on Hollywood Boulevard where all the stars are, the stars on Hollywood Boulevard. Now, Carl, when you would walk out, what star did you immediately step on? (laughs)
0: <laughs> or what thing did I step on?
2: <laughs> That's right. Or what what person did you step on? Right. I I, I was asking earlier, and I'm going to take the name Donald Trump out of the equation as to avoid political conversation on this program. But along the, the the Hollywood Boulevard star, the Walk of Fame, where all of the stars are within the sidewalk, and and you can qualify for that either. And it has like a camera. A little director thing so it tells you what genre of fame whether it's television movie recording like in terms of singing i think radio is one of the yeah. the little icons and then directing who would you think is the most sought out photo that people like when people are walking along the the, the hollywood boulevard walk of fame and mike chapel by the way uh was going to join us here we're still trying to get in contact with mike so we'll try to talk to him and get back into the colts conversation here but when you're walking along and anybody that's been to L.A. is like, oh, I've got to find the you know, the Michael Jackson star. That was going to be my the, guess, yeah. by the way. Yeah, like what? what is the one do you think that is the most sought after or the most photographed?
0: Well, gee, I, I think of what I've done
2: and which is The Doors. So musicians, yeah. Cool. yeah. yeah. Um, But uh, Marilyn Monroe, maybe? I mean- It's got to be way up there. Yeah, that's got to be up way there. Way up there. By the way, when I was in um, This is how weird I am, Carl. When I was in Paris- I found – so Jim Morrison, before his passing – you know, he lived in Paris, obviously. He had spent one week in the French Riviera and then came back to Paris and – you know, obviously passed away in 1970, 70 or 71, but he was 27 years old. Um, the last photo taken of Jim Morrison is him standing with a group of friends in front of a friend of his apartment building in Paris. So I'm weird enough that when I was in Paris, I had to find that exact door and take the exact <laughs> photo, which I did. Also, by the way, one other note about the doors that I found fascinating, uh, Jim Morrison's father, do you know what Jim Morrison's father did for a living? No. No. Um, so Jim Morrison's father, I think of Jim Morrison as one of the, the faces of the counterculture cultural movement of the early '70s, late '60s, early '70s. You know, during the time when, you know, you're you're kind of escalating towards the peak of Vietnam, and yet Jim Morrison was the guy that was kind of kind of a rebel, right? Like a rebel rouser. Uh, Jim Morrison's father was Admiral George Morrison, who was. Literally, the lead admiral of the Pacific Fleet for the United States Navy during the Vietnam War. Did not know that. And I had read several years ago, this would have been about 15 or 16 years ago, I was reading the paper, it shows how long ago it was, and in the paper under notable obituaries, it says George Morrison, Fleet Admiral, United States Navy. So I'm reading the obit, and it says uh, the admiral was preceded in death by his son Jim Morrison, rocker of the singer The Doors. So it also had listed as a survivor his daughter, which was Jim Morrison's sister. So I, because I'm a weirdo, looked up the phone number for Jim Morrison's sister, and I waited because I didn't want to call right away since her father had just passed. But I waited a few weeks and called and just introduced myself and said, look, I've always been fascinated with the Doors in the 70s and Vietnam era, and I did not know that about your father, my condolences. She could not have been nicer. I talked to her for probably 15 or 20 minutes And she told me that she was five years younger than Jim Morrison. When Jim Morrison left home to go to UCLA, he had told his dad, like, I'm going to be a rock and roll star. And his dad's like, well, you you can't even sing. (laughs) And so he left. and And she said, she's like, that was the last time my brother lived at home. He had a very fractured relationship with my dad for the obvious reasons. And she said, but I will never forget coming home when I was in late high school. And my mother said, there's something for you on your bed open it up, and then don't let your father know I gave it to you. She's like, okay. And she went up, and sitting on the bed was the debut album of The Doors. Wow. And so she she had it. Her father didn't know she had it. And then when Jim Morrison passed, years later, she said, Jim Morrison's father called her on the phone and said, we need to go to Paris. And they went to Paris, and his headstone had been graffitied, and his father went, who had not gone to his grave upon his passing, his father went and bought a new headstone and put a new phrase on it in Latin that essentially says, like, he flew his own path. And she's like, I thought that was my dad's- That's really cool coming to grips with all of it and kind of burying that years after the fact. All those facts on me just saying that I, t- I took a picture of...
3: The of the <laughs> well, educate it. and
2: entertain, <laughs> baby. Yeah, I no, try to educate entertain. and entertain. Wow. Literally, people are like, it's a sports show, query Get back on it. Okay, listen. I mean, every once in a while, my brain skips into a different direction. Uh, yesterday, different direction for the Colts. It was not the... It actually, it wasn't a different direction. It was the direction... I think we knew going into that game, Jimmy, that Tampa was a team that they should be able to, to get a win over, but you know the Bucks are just competent enough that, y- you know, you couldn't go out and just sleepwalk your way through. I, all told, a-, a good win for them. There, but again, the-, the shocker is this: I, absolutely, one hundred percent. I will admit, I would not have guessed that coming off of the Thanksgiving break that the Indianapolis Colts would be right there, finding themselves in the mix. In terms of the playoffs, never, ever, ever would have guessed that.
3: I didn't either. I felt like that with the schedule, they would have an opportunity to kind of float around for most of the year, but wouldn't think that this late into the season, unless had you told me at training camp that that was going to happen, I would have thought this is the dream season. Anthony Richardson has lit the world on fire. He is the quarterback that everybody thought he was going to be. And here we are now on a chase for the playoffs. That's what I would have thought Colts fans were thinking at that point. The fact that it is Gardner Minshew, the fact that, as you mentioned, Jake, there's been competency there, some nationally, which I I believe he belongs belongs in the conversation. Sure, do I think he's going to win it? No, but a coach of the year-like effort from Shane Steichen with what this team's had to go through and the fact that they're there definitely belongs in that conversation. I'm willing to get on board with that, but I'll take it a step further. You're right. When I looked at what Tampa Bay would present to the Colts in terms of challenges, in terms of... Being a, like you mentioned, boulder in the stream of where the Colts would go from here on out. Now that they've taken Tampa Bay down, and now that you're looking at these final six games of the season, I think they're going to get in. I really do. I think they're going to go 5-1 and one the rest of the way, at worst, and I think they're going to get in. And what that means for the franchise in terms of, are they going to do anything once they get there? I don't know. Look, I made it very clear in September, Jake, that I felt like if this team gets into the playoffs as a seven seed or a six seed, that it's probably a one-and-done appearance and a 15-point a loss in the playoffs. I've been pretty clear about that. But you punch a ticket there, and now instead of all the conversations being around, oh, this is a lousy team without any real pieces and a quarterback that might be injury-riddled, it is, hey, we made the, if we're simulating this out, made the playoffs last year, have some good pieces, need to improve in some clear areas, but we think we have our franchise guy. I think they're going to get in. I think they're going to go five and one the rest of the way.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I, I think they're going to get in based on. And, and I don't mean this is a demerit to, to the Colts, but and kudos and credit to them for being in the conversation and giving us this to talk about right now, as opposed to the possibility of talking about how the end of the year with Houston might affect like draft status. Right? I don't want to look at mocks right now, but correct, right? But the part of and I think most realistic fans would know this part of why they are in this mix is because of those that are around them. I mean Buffalo's schedule here out is grueling. Cincinnati I think we know now is probably already turned. do you remember those um do you remember those calendars desktop calendars they used to have that the, the the tear off a day calendar yes they have like Jeopardy a day or the far side per day sure. or you know Ziggy whatever. Like, the Cincinnati Bengals just went ahead and, and and got, like, scissors and lopped off the last, like, two months of it. They're like, we're, we're, it's over, right? Yeah. The year's over. Yes. And I know that the Bengals will tell you differently than that, and I'm sure WLW will tell you differently than that, but realistically, with all due respect to the Bengals, who are a fine team, but once Joe Burrow went down, it's over. Yeah. It's like Ferris Bueller. He's come out. He's like, it's over. Go home. It's over. Bengals right? season died with Joe Burrow's wrist. And whatever. And, and yeah. people are going to kill me if for some reason they hang around long enough and they stay in the mix. But but one would assume it's over. Now, then you look at the other teams. Pittsburgh didn't think they'd be here also, probably right. Kenny Pickett, his little hands, still still <laughs> finds themselves on the grip of a playoff spot. Yeah. We don't know how, but they're there. Their schedule, pretty favorable. Cleveland, give them credit. That defense is hanging them around, but can they sustain it? Cleveland, right now, a game and a half in front of Indy. And then you look at the fact they'd have a tiebreaker, right? Remaining schedule for the Browns. Pretty favorable at the Rams. Home against the Jags. Then the Bears at Houston. The Jets. Ugh, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa.
3: Riders might be back. Haven't you heard? Uh, haven't okay. you, you listened to the
2: news? Great. <laughs> The corpse of Aaron Rodgers is going to be out there. Great, Zach right? Wilson just going
3: to be a ventriloquist. He's just going to be pulling his strings on the sideline. That's line. a prime video game. It's a weekend at Bernie's, but with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, totally.
2: Can you imagine Aaron Rodgers trying to escape Miles Garrett? I mean, come on, Aaron Rodgers. If if Aaron Rodgers comes back and plays December twenty eighth against the Jets, he's going to look trying to get away from Miles Garrett like the shopping cart you get with the one bum wheel, right? Yes.
3: Now I will say he might get lucky because I forgot about this, too, but Garrett's going to have an MRI today on a shoulder injury he had, so maybe he's not out there. Maybe don't have to worry about it. Well,
2: listen, they got other weapons, right? (laughs) Yeah. And then you've got the Bengals uh, at Cincinnati, which is the very first NFL game I ever attended, 1979 Browns at Bengals Riverfront Stadium. You want to talk about gah. It was exactly (laughs) that. It was like 15 degrees, spitting ice the whole time. Pete Johnson and Isaac Curtis – slugging it out with Brian Sype and Sam Rattigliano's Cleveland Browns.
3: The Broncos are also breathing down their neck.
2: But I love it this is the there. first NFL game.
3: Man, I don't know if I remember my – I need to think about it during the break. I don't know if I remember my first NFL Jimmy, game offhand.
2: I should. I $20 feel... bill for you if you get this right. Oh, no shot. Give me the money now. I was a diehard NFL fan as a kid. Okay. Like any kid, right? But there was no team here. Correct. That's how my family ended up Chiefs fans. Yeah, my team was was the Steelers as a kid growing up. My dad worked in the steel business, and back in those days, the two teams that were regularly on national TV Steelers, Cowboys. Yep. My team was the Steelers as a kid, but the Bengals were not only the closest team, but they also were the one that, like, if you got a, a fill up of gas at Shell, you got a a pint glass that was the Bengals or Bears. Those were your two choices. Or if you went to the marathon station, you could get a free Bengals poster. Okay. But the Bengals were the closest team to go see an NFL game. So my dad was like, we're going to go to an NFL game. I remember my mom getting out like a stadium blanket for us, and my dad making a little thing of hot chocolate. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to an NFL game. It was fabulous. And I owned everything under the sun Pittsburgh Steelers. I had the Steelers pajamas. I had the Steelers robe from Sears. I had the Steelers bedspread. I had the Steelers trash can. Still have it. I had the Steelers lamp. Still have it. I'm not a Steelers fan now, per se. But nostalgically I, I am but we went to the game and my dad's like okay you can buy one pennant i don't even know if kids buy pennants anymore at a game probably don't even sell them anymore i had so many pennants i had the entire big 10 on my wall as a kid i had a whole wheel of nfl and major league baseball franchise ones and i think they're actually fairly valuable now and i think my parents threw them out when i left the house but what team did i buy i was already a steelers fan already had a steelers one what year was this 1978 well it was the 78 79 no 79 1979 you could pick any pennant you wanted I, we went into the to the they had all the pennants of the NFL and I'm like I want that one right there because I just thought it was cool Seattle that's a great guess incorrect but a great oh, guess yeah. it's ironic that I would have picked this team being a childhood Steelers fan but I love the helmet of the, of the Houston Oilers
3: yeah that's a good one too
2: that baby blue.
3: I was playing back to our throwback conversations, and I figured, all right, Seattle was established at that point. That would have been that era of cool
2: color schemes and logos.
3: But yeah, Willard's right there, sure.
2: Uh, Also, speaking of playoffs, college football playoff disrupted I thought a little bit, but maybe not so much on Saturday. Here is my Jake Query. I wish we had Robin the Genie. Do we have Robin the Genie, Jimmy?
3: I believe we do, but if not, I might need to go Get Robin the genie, but I could do that. We might have it though.
2: Yeah. We have Robin the genie. We have found Robin. He was lost after Thanksgiving. He's at the bottle of this he's at the bottom of this bottle of VIX forty four I just polished off. Robin has a question for you, Jimmy. Okay. Jimmy Cook. Did you watch college football over the weekend? I did watch some college football. After watching college football, I would like for you, Jimmy Cook, to tell me name not for me one or two but I need for you to tell me not who you want but the four teams that you believe will be in the college football playoff Georgia Michigan the show is over at three
3: Florida State and Washington
2: jimmy cook your schools have been recorded for robin the genie here's who i believe and robin the genie has made note of your picks and so if you get it right robin will deliver that check for one million dollars
3: Yeah, i'm still waiting for the last one Robin. his
2: line of credit not necessarily the best (laughs) okay so here are mine you ready yes georgia i believe is in I think Georgia's going to beat Alabama. That's why I think they're in. And that, that boots Alabama out, okay? I think Oregon defeats Washington. And that creates a bit of a curveball because then you have two teams in Oregon and Washington with one loss each that canceled one another out. Theoretically, you could then take Oregon and Washington both in, right? Sure, we could, yeah. If the committee was based out west. But I think Georgia
3: is in. Sure. Because they beat Alabama, I, I want to rewind the tape. Do you think,
2: am I giving away too much of the card already? Do they beat Alabama in the SEC title game? I'm, I'm assuming they beat Alabama. Okay. All right. Okay. So Georgia's in. Yep. Michigan's in. Yep. I think Michigan beats Iowa here and they're in. Hey, Jake, right? does Iowa score a touchdown in the Big Ten title game? That's, that's, that's their
3: total. Question. Six and a half is their total. Just the team total is six and a half. Are you serious? I was in a conversation with a buddy today. I'm like, look, I wouldn't bet it, but if you want a novelty bet, maybe put five dollars, there's six and a half. That's the total.
2: I I mean, <laughs> they're not designed to score points anyway, and they're going up against the now Michigan's defense seems to be a little bit more porous when they don't know what people are calling. Right. Sure. Sure. Yes, but yeah. But Michigan's in. So you got Georgia, Michigan. Then here here's the curveball, okay? Florida State, if they went out, is in. And I'll give credit to Florida State playing with a backup quarterback and beating Florida. Now they've got to go up against Louisville. Does that game become a little bit more doable because Louisville, since they lost to Kentucky, knows that the playoffs are out for them?
3: No. I think this is still just as much that Jeff Brown would love nothing more already having so, a win over Notre Dame.
2: I think Louisville beats Florida State. And I Listen, I love Florida State's coach, and I'll say this for Florida State. This has nothing to do with their assessment or their value as a program today in 2023. But as a Clemson fan, and I also have asked this question to a lot of fans of other fan bases, I always ask them, "What, what? if you go on the road to go see your team play, what school has the coolest fan base? And... My buddies from Clemson and as well, friends of mine that are Notre Dame fans during that rivalry when it was at its peak have all said that going to Florida State, that Florida State has the nicest fans. Really? Totally not obnoxious, totally welcoming, like, hey, have fun, you know, good natured ribbing, and then that's it, right? So I've always kind of liked Florida State, but I think Louisville beats Florida State. I think at that point, it becomes Georgia, Michigan, Texas I like that and then instead of taking two out of the the Pac-12 I think the committee takes two from the Big Ten and Ohio State still gets in because Ohio State has one loss and it was to Michigan where they had the ball at the end of the game with a chance to win the game with a minute left on the road I think Ohio State gets in
3: in that scenario you just lined out yeah I think that's what happens yes you're not gonna. I'm not gonna be able to look at you and say, "Well, what if this happens, Jake?" What? No. If Washington loses to Oregon, and there's a spot available because of also a you said Florida State loses to Louisville. If there's a questionable spot there, it's not going to go to Washington. It's not going to go to Oregon. It would go I to think Ohio if, State.
2: If Washington, here's the thing. There's a little bit of an eye test that comes into play here. Yeah, Washington. And, and I give Washington a ton of credit and Michael Penix Jr has been fabulous but Washington feels like they've been playing with fire yeah you know when you walk on a frozen pond and you hear like the like, Ooh, time to get off this bad boy hey, this thing's about to crack yeah. you don't know where it is but you can hear it washington's like last four games have been like it f- it feels like the ice is about to crack it's like
3: that. the vikings in the nfl from a year ago they're doing enough to win
2: games, but, but you correct. know how it's going to end. That's exactly correct. Yeah. Same colors too. Yeah, How about that? Interesting. Now, the Oregon, on the other hand, looks like that they are becoming, you know, that they're really moving along here, pretty stout. I mean, you, you, like, like nobody wants to face Oregon. I don't know that people are overly intimidated by facing Washington. Is what I'm getting at. But so, so maybe Oregon has enough juice to get in. And Washington would get in if they win because they're unblemished. I mean, yeah. it's certainly. But, but a loss to Washington, I I do feel like a loss to Washington cancels them out altogether.
3: Yeah, no. If they lose, it's over.
2: And Oregon, if they beat Washington, might have enough juice to get in, even though they both would have one loss. And how do you determine which one you go with, right? Now, the other thing out of the Pac-12, Jimmy, do you remember me saying, and I can't recall because it would have been right around the time that I switched from the morning show to... To, to doing this show with you yeah but do you remember me saying and, and if you don't that's fine because it would have meant that i said it on the morning show do you remember me at one point saying indiana if indiana feels like they need to go in another direction coaching then indiana what I, I was like what i would do if i was indiana and i said this in like september if i was indiana right now what i would do is with all of this narrative about the big 10 and all of this momentum about the Big Ten and Oregon's coming to the Big Ten and Washington's coming to the Big Ten and USC's coming to the Big Ten and UCLA's coming to the Big Ten. And it's about to be – people think it's going to be the Big 20 eventually and Notre Dame's going to come eventually. And yeah, all this talk and everybody's like, it's going to end up being like three super conferences and the Big Ten is the one that's the step ahead of everybody because the Big Ten money, they are literally printing hundreds. I mean, they're, they're like they're blowing their nose with 20s at the Big Ten. They're just they're just burning money. Right. So the, the, the cachet of the Big Ten is never bigger or higher or sexier or more powerful than it is right now. Literally. A year from now, maybe even not. Two years from now, maybe even not. But right now, there's this the 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 Big Ten is like Bitcoin. Like nobody knows exactly how valuable it is or where it's going, but they just know that like you kind of need to be a part of the case. Nobody wants to miss it. Nobody wants to miss it. Nobody wants to miss it, yeah. right? So I remember saying, like in September, if I'm Indiana, even if I'm going to use Tom Allen until the end of the year, if I'm Indiana, I'm calling not directly but representatives thereof of Oregon State and Washington State. I didn't even know their names at the time. I just knew that Oregon State and Washington State had been to bowl games, had nice competent programs, and had two coaches that were getting ready next year to play in the Mountain West. And I would go to those coaches and say, look – I know you're probably happy in Corvallis. They got a great relationship with Nike. They got that cute little beaver logo. He's cool. I know you're happy in Washington State. They got that cool logo that has the WSU subliminally within it of the roaring Cougar. And and Pullman, Washington's nice if you like nine feet of snow. That's cool. But Instead of getting ready next year for a battle-tested tilt with San Jose State, why don't you come to the Big Ten? And why don't you come in because we can provide you shelter from the rainstorm so far that has completely dampened your shoes. Come to the Big Ten. And if Indiana – I remember saying, that's what I'd do, and I would get Oregon State or Washington State's coach. And what happens, but Michigan State, different circumstance I realize, is in need of a head coach, and five minutes after their season ended, they announced they got Oregon State's coach. You know what that means? It means that Michigan State had conversations with an intermediary of that coach while he was the head coach at Oregon State. He was negotiating, probably through back channels, with Michigan State because Michigan State had foresight and vision and a plan.
3: You know what it also means? And I can't believe I'm saying this because it's going to catch everybody by surprise here because I do remember you saying that Michigan State's part of the company. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know how we worked them in because they're, they're out of state, but they 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 might be a part of the company. Well,
2: Here's the thing. Michigan State Athletics would be thrilled to be part of this company because we don't have an (laughs) HR department. And it appears as though that's exactly what's advantageous for them.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: You're listening to Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
2: It is halfway through the 1 o'clock hour. How are you? On a Monday, my name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook is the president of Query and Company. You still have your Query and Company president bottle?
3: I do. I still have my bottle, and additionally, the uh, key card still works. That was nice. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Good
2: uh, to see Carl is, you. Carl Showbiz, know, we got him through a temp agency, uh, but he, he now has become an employee as well for Aquarian Company. Yes, Capably so, right? Filling in for the vacationing CEO, Eddie Garrison. Um, Carl, a jack of all trades that can do a number of different things. Thus, he has developed himself into a very valuable employee. So, we were talking earlier about the the Colts. One of the things that we haven't really touched on today, Jimmy, Todd Meyer just came in and pointed this out. Really good point. There have been six coaches that have been relieved of their coaching duties with games still left in their first season. Frank Reich became the sixth today. It is the second coach that has been relieved of his coaching duties for the Carolina Panthers uh, in his first season. It is the second year in a row that Frank Reich has been relieved of his coaching duties, right? Um And obviously, a year ago, Frank Reich was relieved of his coaching duties midway through the season. And then the Jeff Saturday era began. I think when it came down to it in Carolina, and I'm going to give Frank Reich a a huge pass here, okay? When... The combine was was going on, and after the combine, when everybody did their individual workouts, I remember I remember at the combine when C.J. Stroud spoke at the NFL combine, you know, and did his Q and A with the media. Our when I was doing the morning show with Kevin, our table was set up at the combine, right on the for the fan was right on the other side of the curtain from. So I want people to imagine. If you were in one of those big conference halls at the convention center, and you take one of those big conference halls, and three-quarters of the way across it, you put a black curtain that goes all the way down. So you've now divided the, the conference hall into two areas, one of which is 75% of the width of it, the other is 25% of the width of it. The radio row and the media stuff was on the 25% on the opposite side of the curtain, you walk on that other side of the curtain and that's seventy five percent were all of the platforms where players come out to do their interviews. Like they would say, like tomorrow it's offensive line day. If you want to hear from the right guard from Virginia Tech that is thought to be a first rounder, he speaks at two twenty five. And then, you know, teams that are in desperate need of a right guard, their media contingencies over there asking the guy, What so you want would you want to play for the Packers? Have you ever had a cheesesteak before? Yeah, exactly. all, that, all that good stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when CJ Stroud did his availability, it was towards the tail end of Kevin and I. So it was like nine fifty five in the morning, if I'm not mistaken, nine forty five, whatever it was. So Kevin and I are doing our show, and literally all of the different and so the radio row that we're on consisted also of the the local folks from each respective team. So, like, the radio broadcast crew of the Eagles or the Jets or, you know, like Matt Taylor and Lara, you know, there for the Colts, etc. And then the Raiders guys that usually showed up around 1030 and looked like they'd been on a bender. Those guys were – they I don't know what was going on there. <laughs> but when C.J. Stroud was doing his, his podium, like, no one was where we were because everyone had gone on the other side of the curtain to go hear from C.J. Stroud because he was the rising – intrigue Bryce Young was the guy that most people thought was going to be the number one pick Will Levis was one that was like his name was starting to to get attention and Anthony Richardson is one that it was at the combine himself itself where Anthony Richardson made his name he walked out and people were like oh my gosh this guy's built like Adonis and then you know he wowed everybody with the intangibles and and then he became a name in the top five but Stroud was the one going into it that people knew about but they had question mark because of the Ohio State thing is he a system quarterback? Ohio State hasn't had any great quarterbacks that have gone, you know, Justin Fields is still finding his way, uh, you know, Cardell Jones and and Terrell Pryor and all these other quarterbacks have there've have been question marks about him. so you know Dwayne Haskins, you know, is CJ Stroud the guy I want to hear from him so there was all this intrigue about him. And by every account, people walked away from the C.J. Stroud media availability with twinkles in their eyes. And they were stargazed and love struck and they looked literally like teenagers that like, had, had just all of a sudden seen Revenge of the Nerds and the Betty Child scene was there. And it was like, oh my gosh, what have I just seen? and everybody was mesmerized by him because of the way that he so eloquently and so calmly and so confidently answered every question and he said i'm a ball placement specialist and that's what i do and i do well and people were like oh my gosh and he's 6-4 and he's coming out of like a, a big high school program and he's got durability and he's poised and he was a really polite impressive young man right and nobody seemingly fell more in love with that than Frank Reich. And then he does his pro day. And he's at his pro day, and Frank Reich has followed him around with a phone out recording it, and he literally looks like every 15-year-old at the Taylor Swift concert.
3: Frank Reich's doing Instagram Lives from totally. <laughs> CJ Stroud. Totally. Frank
2: Reich was in love with CJ Stroud. I could tell it, right? Right. I could tell it. I'm like I'm looking at it, and I'm going. This guy is in love with C.J. Stroud, yeah. And he's fist bumping him, and he's walking up, and he's like, "All right, we'll see you soon," and everything else. And I don't know this to be the case. What I'm about to say, but by all account, it seems as though Frank Reich walked in to One Panther Way or whatever the address is for the Carolina Panthers headquarters, and walked to his walked into his owners, and said, "I'll tell you what. I took this job because." and you hired me because you know that we are going to start over with a new quarterback, and I'm a quarterback whisperer, and I'm going to be able to to bring out greatness in whatever quarterback we draft, and it's going to be an easy job for me because greatness already exists with C.J. Stroud, and that's my guy. And I think the owner of the Carolina Panthers said, actually, we've watched a lot of Alabama down here, and we love Bryce Young. Well, I know, but Bryce Young, he's a great player. He can do a lot of great things, but he's, but he's like 5'10". C.J. Stroud's 6'4". Yeah, but, but but Bryce Young knows how to win. Yeah, but C.J. Stroud, I mean, he's at Ohio State. They win a lot. True, true, but, um, you know, we got a phone call from Art Schleister, and even he said don't bet on it. So we we think Bryce Young is the guy. No, no, I think it's C.J. Stroud. Well, I'm the owner, so I'm going with, C- with Bryce Young. Okay.
3: If you've ever played Madden before, if you're playing franchise mode, and I get it, this is more for, for my generation, but if you've played Madden, oftentimes there are scenarios that you get to pick before you start the game, and one of them is – how involved do you want the owner to be? And one of the scenarios is ultra hands-on will sometimes override your decisions. Like he has to have the last say. And as a teenager, as a young adult, I'm just trying to play the game and build my team. I don't want some computerized owner. to. I'm not playing for that. That's right. David Tepper. That is David Tepper in Carolina. It'll be his seventh head coach. If you include interim head coaches. He's gone through three full-time head coaches since he bought the Panthers in 2018. And you mentioned it, and You don't know for certain. I, I, I would write there with you, Jake. I think that that was his decision to get Bryce young. A lot of people nationally that are in closer circles with the Panthers and NFL coaches say that that's the type of owner that David Tepper is. And it's hard not to look at what has happened since he's bought the team and not feel like, yeah, that's probably what happened that Frank Reich is not fully to blame partially to blame but I don't look at Frank Reich's firing and say Frank Reich fired because he's a bad but coach. I'm not saying He's a good problem. coach.
2: Jimmy, here's the problem for Frank Reich. Though. Sure, sure. Okay? Be it fair or unfair, just or unjust, oftentimes we become what our reputation says about us. Yeah. Okay? And Frank Reich, I think the reputation is that he was like a quarterback whisperer, right? Yeah. And he was, you know, he's, he's a really nice guy that that is kind of stoic and, like, has kind of a Tony Dungy-type delivery about him and the fact that he's not a yeller and screamer, but guys will want to play for him because they buy in, okay? Yes. That became, like, the M.O. for Frank Reich, okay? But something happened here to Frank Reich that may hurt him in getting another job more so than what just happened to him in Carolina – and because water finds its level, and I think that in totality, there's going to be a lot of question about Frank Reich, and it started right here in Indianapolis, and I'll tell you what it is next.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
2: Now, not to be confused with ACDC, but a similar, kind of a similar baseline. Do we have Ked Woodley and Dominate the Foe, Carl, to play? Since we're talking about the Carolina Panthers and Frank Reich. Now listen to that little beat you get there, and then go ahead and segue perfect. Here we go. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) That's right. <laughs> That's right. No, wait till the chorus. Lightning fast. Panthers. Hell yeah. <laughs> this guy's the best. This is Kev Woodley back when the Panthers went to the Super Bowl. They call pro football. So, so Ken Woodley probably thrilled that we're talking about the Carolina Panthers. But here's the thing with Frank Reich. Frank Reich could get a pass and get another chance as a head coach somewhere based on the fact that I think everybody in football is aware of the fact of the insinuation that he was coaching a quarterback that was not his pick. And so you could say, yeah, I mean, yeah, he had Bryce Young out there, but that's not the guy he wanted. But the irony in that, Jimmy, is this. The irony is in Indianapolis, everything went south and Frank Reich was sent his walking papers because what happened? Because they went with the quarterback that Frank Reich wanted and it was Carson Wentz. Yeah. And when they went with the quarterback that Frank Reich wanted and they went with Carson Wentz and Chris Ballard said, okay, let's do it. You 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 brought greatness out of him in Philly. Let's see if you can do it again here. And they went to him, and it did not work out. And it was like, wait a minute, that's the guy that that you wanted. And they he couldn't find consistency here, and he couldn't. He wasn't the guy, and he wasn't able to to reawaken things. And so, basically, for Frank Reich, it's a draw because you look at it and go, you know what? He wasn't allowed to have his guy, and yes. Clearly, if he'd had C.J. Stroud, that would have been the right pick because C.J. Stroud is is obviously a player. But I think there are teams that may look at him and go, you know, he got a pass because of the fact that he was going with a QB that wasn't his guy, but the last time that he was given a QB at a new situation as a head coach where it was his guy, it was a disaster, and it led to total turmoil for a franchise. Frank Reich's a super nice guy. And embodies a lot of qualities that you would look for in a leader and a co-worker and a, a manager and a director and all of those things. But I don't know that he gets another opportunity. In the He will just because it's that turnstile, right? I mean, the NFL, it's like they – and realistically, there's 32 jobs and seemingly there's like 40 people that are ever actually in the running that have any of those 32. But – There'll be a
3: coordinator position for him if That's, he wants it. I
2: was going to say, as a head coach, I don't know that he gets another – he'll definitely get another coaching job. Yeah. I just don't know that he gets – for now, I don't know that he gets another head coaching job.
3: But I don't disagree with that. I mean, you've had two bites of the apple. Now, granted, I think with a more level-headed owner, he gets more than one year. Well – like I, I, Like, I – I don't know. I know things were awful, but – it's not Frank Wright's fault that they don't have a first-round pick next year. Right. Like, and the whole quarterback whisper thing that's followed him, I never bought into it to begin with, but very rarely is it, if you're if that's your definition as a coach, you get the best out of a quarterback, very rarely is it, especially with a rookie, the first year it's gangbusters and we're rolling and this is the next face of the league.
2: I can't remember, Jimmy, where was Carolina scheduled to pick? They moved up, obviously, right? They did, yes. Yes. Who had the number one? Was it Houston that had the number one? Chicago. Oh, that's right. It was Chicago. Because they sent and, DJ Moore to Chicago. Yeah, so Chicago was never going to use that. I mean, I think everybody knew when Chicago got the number one pick. It
3: was a ransom pick. They were going to move down and get Correct. Some, But... Get paid for it.
2: But what's funny is they moved up to number one to take Young, and in reality, where were they originally slated to pick? I don't remember off top. I'm trying to find that right now. Were they... They were third, maybe? In other words... They were ninth. Oh, they were that far down? Yeah. Okay. Because like, they, they
3: gave up their the ninth pick in the trade, along with a couple other picks, including their first
2: rounder this coming year. Because it does feel like... I mean, remember when Stroud... This is why you know that like the combine and all that is just bunk. The combine to me is always so funny because in the early years of the NFL combine, top-secret CIA, FBI, Oh, you can't get within – the NFL Combine's amazing. You can't get – nobody's nobody. Fort Knox. In. Nobody's allowed in there. I mean, it's top secret stuff, and, I mean, it's it's super important, and, like, so therefore, like, they don't let anybody in. I mean, they, there was a camera once that caught Bill Belichick eating a pretzel, but, like, outside of that, like, no one's allowed in because it's super important stuff. And you talk to NFL people. So what takes place at the Combine? Oh, just very important evaluations. and Well, why, why is it – well, it's just really – I mean, it, you know, we keep it very close to the vest. Okay, and then somebody figured out, like, you know what? We can we can actually make money off this. Let's 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 auction off like a thousand seats. Let's raffle them off a thousand seats to come in and watch the combine. So they let a thousand people come in and watch the combine, and those thousand people watched, and literally, and then the word got out, and they're like, so what's going on with the combine? And they're like, oh well, actually. Um, nothing it's just a bunch of guys running around in in fruit of the looms and and doing bench press and and the, like scouts from the jets falling in love with guys that nobody's heard of because they can deadlift tonka trucks and so then the nfl went well, we can make a ton of money off this so then they let everybody in and now they're going to televise all of it and everything's out there and then what do they say well we, we let all that happen because to be honest with you like and none of it means anything we, we all just go by the pro days we we just go by the, the whatever happens in the individual workouts. That's where we really assess it. So this is all just window dressing. They're just weird lies to say. Because right. it's the
3: entire body of work. Totally. Like, j- like just because it's the entire body of work though doesn't devalue that you could find nuggets at the combine. And here's
2: how you know that the combine is total BS and nothing but smoke screen stuff. Number one, because it's all based on a lie. The entire NFL combines based on the lie I just talked about, and then you throw in the additional lies that come out of it that are all smokescreen stuff. Like, for example, C.J. Stroud, uh, he might fall out of the first round. There's talk that he might fall out of the first round because oh, he did man. terrible at his wonderlick test. Draft season, oh, he, what he, a time so they asked him a question about whether or not he'd rather have a pet llama or emu, and he actually <laughs> asked if they're the same animal, and they couldn't believe that. I dropped him five spots like, in my big board because. Totally, of it. I mean, and then and then who was the one that was going to be the number one pick? Oh, the chatter at the combine. Will Levis, boy, this guy's moving up like a – I mean, he is – absolutely. Jim Ursay loves him. I mean, I, that's what I was told, like very reliable. Ursay loves Will Levis, and he might go number one overall. There's talk he might go number one overall. And then when it comes down to it, Will Levis is the story of the NFL draft because they show him in the green room, and people are like, oh, my gosh, Will Levis is surrounded by hot chicks. Then you find out it's a sister, and it's like, well, that's more awkward than the mayonnaise thing, right? <laughs> All of it. But C.J. Stroud, that whole conversation about him dropping in the draft, Jimmy was 100% smokescreen, probably put out there by Houston because Houston was basically saying, because Houston is a competent franchise for once, and Houston thought to themselves, we don't want anybody moving up in front of us to draft C.J. Stroud. So let's just like all of a sudden start leaking stories about him so that people convince themselves they can get him at 18 or 20 and don't have to move up to 2 or 1 or whatever it might be. Brilliant.
3: Organizations that are in the cellar often have come to Jesus moments where they light bulb finally clicks and the stars align that that happened to Houston this year. They, they obviously they made some changes in general with their, you know, full slate of front office personnel. It bringing in Demico Ryan as head coach, but CJ Stroud appears to be it for them. A franchise totally. that you look totally. at a laughing stock and they figure it yeah. out. Uh, did you say you got a hold of Chap? Yes. Mike hey. Chapel, I think, coming
2: on next with us. Okay. We'll do it next.
1: You're listening to Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
2: Two o'clock hour, Mike Chappell going to join us literally right on the other side of this bit of information because we have breaking news. (laughs) Within the last 30 minutes or so, it is now official what we all expected. The Purdue Boilermakers are again the number one ranked team in the land from the Associated Press. Purdue, who for the first time became ranked number one three years ago, has now done it in three consecutive seasons. The Boilers. At 6-0, got 60 of 63 number one votes. Uh, apparently, there are, there's one guy that has never seen Purdue play that voted for Arizona. And somebody who has never seen Purdue play, there are two of those that voted for Connecticut. Both very good teams, by the way. But Purdue number one in front of Arizona, Marquette, Connecticut, and Kansas. Rest of the top ten, Houston, Duke, Miami, Baylor, and Tennessee. Joining us now on the hotline from CBS4 and WXIN is Mike Chappell. And, Mike, I'm going to begin with this, uh, even though obviously we have you here to talk about the Colts. The other big story of the day in the NFL is that of Frank Reich out in Carolina. Did that surprise you that they made this move before the season is over with?
6: Yeah, it it, it sort of did. I mean, it it maybe just shows you the, the desperation or the impatience of the owner. I don't know. And what I tweeted, and I hope someone comes up with it, is some confirmation on who made the call on Bryce Young so much of what we've heard, you know, the old sources type of thing, is that the owner made the call on Bryce Young that, that Frank was probably more of a CJ Stroud guy. If that's the case, then, then what are you doing? You know, it, it's you, you just can't bring in a coach and not give him the quarterback he wants. It would have been similar to Shane Steichen really, really wanting Anthony Richardson and, and they shove somebody else down his throat, Will Levis, whatever. But maybe now that. This is taking place. We'll find out. Frank's – I don't think – I really don't think Frank's going to say, yeah, they overruled me. Not overruled. It's, it's Tepper's team. But I, I just don't know that Frank is the kind to air dirty laundry, even though it would, in this case, maybe vindicate him in a little bit. Does I don't
2: it, know. But Mike, doesn't it almost feel like he doesn't have to? I, you know what I mean? Like, I think – No, right. Like, I think most people know. The irony is I was just talking about, and you give me your thought on this, I, I thought the irony of – Let's say that you're right, Mike, that that and I think most of us assume because you could see I mean Frank Reich at CJ Stroud's pro day literally looked like me when I was in 7th grade and saw Bob Knight at the North Central <laughs> Marion game. You know what I mean? Like and so, I mean, he he you could tell that he just was and for good reason uh, that, that he was bought in. But but The irony being, it was a year ago where he was relieved of his duties in Indianapolis because the Colts did go with the quarterback that he wanted and it didn't work out in Carson Wentz.
6: Well, yes. The the, the ones, you know, he he, he really pounded the Wentz, endorsed Wentz. And a lot of us were sort of, maybe this will work. not Certainly not as, as, as firm as Frank was with it. And then, you know, when that didn't work and they go to Matt Ryan, that wasn't totally, Frank. That that was a – we're all in on this one. Everybody thought at the time that Matt Ryan was going to be the next short-term gap, sort of like Philip Rivers, and that didn't work out. So th- those are all blemishes on, on Frank's resume. But, but with a caveat, again, I, everybody was in here on, on Matt Ryan. And if he didn't have – if he wasn't on board with Bryce Young, it's just so hard – to say, I want this guy, I believe in this guy, and I can make this guy work, and they say, well, that's fine, but we're going to give you this guy. So right from the jump, you're not working with the guy you want, and you've got to sort of make the best of it. So, unfortunate, I I hope Frank takes a year, I don't know, at least till next hiring cycle to sort of get his feet under him and decide what he wants to do. I guess I'd be surprised. Initially, if he, if he gets another head coaching job right away, because it's—I mean, when's the last time a coach got fired consecutive seasons mid-season? I, I don't know. I've not done the research because I don't care to. But offensive coordinator, I—I I, I think that works. Hopefully, he—he'll he'll get the right spot. And never been around a more decent man. Him and he—he he and Tony Dungy are at the top of the list as far as you can be a head coach without being an a-hole and be successful. So best of luck to Frank wh- wherever this takes him.
3: The Dean, Mike Chapel of Fox eight nine and CBS four joins us chap looking at yesterday's game Colts victorious, obviously 27 to 20. You and I have been, you especially acknowledging Jonathan Taylor's ability as a workhorse back. And that's how the Colts should treat him in terms of carries and the, the, the thriving nature of this offense. But I felt like yesterday, if there is to be a happy medium and Zach Moss being a, worthy depth piece a, word, a worthy change of pace back they go 15 carries eight carries both average about six and a half yards per I felt like that was a nice balance in terms of the running game if they were to implement it that way moving forward did you feel the same way yeah
6: and I think this is going to be week-to-week thing yeah because what was it a couple of games ago where Taylor had was it 18 carries yeah, it was like 90, one, to, yeah, right like right 90 to 10 yeah so, so so I think it's going to be week-to-week but this works I mean, would it be nice to have Taylor get, I don't know, 25 carries for 150? Sure. It looks better. And it's it's great for fantasy owners. But this works. And I hope they don't, and they haven't at this point, except for that one game, just ignored Zach Moss. He's a quality player. He just is. I went back and looked. He's still 10th in the league in rushing with his diminished attempts over the last three or four games. So it works. It, 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 like I said, it, it's not ideal for those people who like JT and uh, fantasy, but but that's so far down the list of what these guys are trying to do. And as long as it works, you just keep doing it. And, and as long as they both, can, as long as they get 140, 150 yards rushing, I don't care how it's broken up.
2: Mike, when you look back at yesterday's game, Mike Chapel is our guest from W X I N and CBS Four. When you look back at yesterday's game with Tampa, was there anything realistically that the Colts did or showed that we learned from? Or was it more so the case of, hey, they went out, they did what they had to do against a team that's probably slightly inferior, and they took care of business, and we probably don't look back at that film much?
6: Yeah, I I suppose. It it, it showed you the creative nature of Shane Steichen. Aggressive, yes, but creative – in how he went for it on fourth down in key spots. And it, it, we always say that the game comes down to, you know, a game with 150 plays comes down to four or five that really matter, that really turn things around. And picking up those fourth and shorts and, and then going on and making something out of it, what they had meant you had, what was it, 60 yards on those, on those three fourth-down conversions. So it just really – makes a difference when when you're a team that is going to have to find a way they're not going to throw up 450 yards consistently on offense they're just not they're not built that way now without Richardson so it's always going to be a little bit you know a, a little bit of a struggle they were up 17 to three and and you the way my mind works I'm thinking well how are they going to find a way to, 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 to get Tampa Bay back in it and then you immediately you get the interception where it's really probably not on Minshew was on Josh Downs for running their wrong route, I guess. Miscommunication, however you want to look at it. So this is who they are. I just don't think we're going to have that 30-10 to 10 game in the fourth quarter where they sit back and, you know, you just kind of let the clock run. This This is who they are. They're limited offensively. Defensively, I like what they're doing. I mean, they're really cranking up the sacks now. Is it what like 15 or 16? in The last three games are getting takeaways. The run defense is still atrocious, and it won't get any better until Grover Stewart comes back. I think after this next game, he's due to come back. We knew he was important, and he's just showing us his absence is showing us how important he is. So, uh, but this is who they are. I th- I just think it's, and I've seen some things that we've talked in the media room how. Shane Steichen, all these guys you're getting Coach of the Year, you know, mentions, D'Amico Ryans and all this, in, in Houston. What Steichen done to, to get these team, this team at the number seven seed right now, which is in the playoffs, without your, your starting quarterback? I mean, and with Shaq Leonard really not being what he was, uh, it is really amazing because this is still a flawed team. It is. Most teams are flawed this team has some, it's some, you know, some serious spots, but to have this team playing meaningful games in November and December speaks highly of Steichen and his staff, because they're having to make do with deficiencies where it really normally costs you, but that's not been the case so far. And again, we've talked this schedule for crying out loud, this schedule begs this team. To make the playoffs, it just does.
2: I know, especially when you look at the schedules, Mike, of of those that are around them. I mean, Buffalo's schedule is a gauntlet Good here, luck. heading down the stretch, right?
6: <laughs> yeah. Good luck, Cincinnati, and, and and on and on, and that's why I say if they just if they you know finish four and two, probably would get you in, but you know at Tennessee with against Will Levis, and at Cincinnati with Browning, and it, it's just conducive to. You know, pretty ugly. Whatever, piling up some wins, and at the end of the season, you're saying, "Hey, I'll, I'll be darned. We're, you know, we're the seventh seed. Where are we going to go?" I was watching that Buffalo game last night. I'm thinking, if there ever was a must win, remember, Marty Levy you said the only must win was World War II. One of the all time great quotes, <laughs> right? But that that was so crippling. But they go to where they go next, uh, KC. They've got a tough game next. Buffalo does. So it's just there. Uh, Cincinnati's going to die with with their backup quarterback, and Denver. You know, the Colts keep winning, and Denver wins. The Colts right now have the tie break on conference record. It's there now. Again, this is not a you know a team with playoff with Super Bowl aspirations. I, I you know, unless, you know I, I realize strange things have happened, but playoffs certainly because because again this has been a muddled AFC with quarterback injuries. You know, with Pittsburgh's winning somehow with their quarterback, but it's there for you. If you play decent, you don't turn the ball over too much. Again, I don't think that mistake on Minshew was on Minshew yesterday, but take care of business and see where you are at the end of December, early January. Mike, we haven't had a chance to talk to you since it happened. So let's go back
2: a little bit. Um, were you surprised by the Shaquille Leonard release and What do you think was the reasoning or motivation to do it before the end of the season?
6: I was surprised that they did it in season. I think we all anticipated at the end of the season, at the very least they were going to demand request a pay cut, but it was just a case. He wasn't going to, they had decided, he told us, they had decided he was going to be inactive probably for the rest of the season, barring injury. E.J. Speed or or, or Zaire Franklin? And the idea of having Shaq on the sideline, being a cheerleader, you know, the rest of the season was just something that they weren't going to put him through. They weren't going to deal with it. It would have become a distraction. It was already a semi-distraction, the way things were playing out. But what people need to keep in mind, and that, that was a pretty cool tribute yesterday uh, with him and his family in the stands. How often do you see that? They cut a player and then he's there for, for all of that. But keep in mind that, that Shane Steichen had zero invested in Shaq Leonard. You know, Gus Bradley had, had never really seen Shaq at, at, at his pre injury levels. So they're, they're all about accountability in terms of who makes this team better, who deserves to play, who doesn't deserve to play. So I, I think from a pure personnel you know, decision, yes, it was hard just because of what you, because of what this guy has meant to you. I mean, he's, he's got a, his mural on the side of the stadium, for crying out loud. But I think from a pure football decision, it probably wasn't that difficult. You know, we, we've seen him play the last couple of weeks, and he's not been the same player. Might he be next year? I don't know. Back injuries are, are we've always said the back injuries are, are so, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know how they're going to affect the guy long-term, and to this point, we've not seen Shaq. What I've seen, that Dallas has an interest and Philly has an interest. You know, maybe he's out there playing on Sunday somewhere. Maybe Philly signs him to kick him away from Dallas. I don't know. But you wish the best for him. It was just too bad that he'll be that next player with the Colts that, if only, you know, the Bob Sanders and, and Steve Entmans and Andrew Lux about what, what if injury hadn't interrupted what he might have been because for four years he was as good as there was on defense. Mike Chapel of Foxy
3: nine and CBS four covers the Colts for both those outlets. Nice to, have to take some time with us. Chap, two part question. First one, a kind of short answer. How do you feel about the Colts cornerback room right now?
6: Oh, about like they always have, you know, it's, it's like one or two, one or two plays away from really being a mess. I thought they played pretty well yesterday against a couple pretty good receivers. You know, uh, Evans and Godwin are as, as good as it gets as far as a tandem. Kenny Moore, Kenny Moore, you know what you're going to get. He's playing at a Pro Bowl level. Daryl Baker and, and Jalen Jones, they're still growing. They're still learning. And that's not going to change. I mean, the, the experience they get moving forward is, is going to help them maybe for next year at the end of the year. But, again, look at we talked about the, the, the schedule being so conducive to winning. It's not exactly your murderer's row of, of quarterbacks. You know the best one's going to be probably CJ Stroud in the final game of the season. I only so that's going to help. That's going to help.
3: I only asked the follow up to this, and he has not played well the last couple of weeks. But Marcus Peters just got released by the Raiders. His tackling and his effort has been in question by a lot of people that cover the Raiders. So maybe that's not an ideal thing to go along with. He's you know been he's he's been at times a diva. There's been instances of that early on in his career in Kansas City, but he tracks the ball well, did that in Baltimore, did that in Kansas City, did in L.A.? Do you sense any look there as he now heads to waivers, or do you think they're good with what they have?
6: Well, they won't take him off waivers. They'll, they'll, they'll wait. Anything is going to wait until he clears, I would think, unless you really like him and then you're going to accept whatever his contract is. Three that million. be what these guys have done. Uh, you know, they, they sort of stay in-house. You know, they, they replaced Shaq with uh, Ronnie Harrison, which short-term worked out. So, I, I, I guess I'd be surprised because that's not what they've done. But, boy, that, that's what they do in their personnel meetings on Mondays is they say, okay, what about this? What about this? You knock it around, and then you say, no, we're going to stick with what we've got. I'd be surprised. But, you know, as I said with the Shaq thing, I, I, they tend to surprise me at times.
2: Mike, before we let you go, Mike Chappell is our guest. Also, haven't had a chance to talk to you since then, and, and I realize it feels like a month ago, which for the Colts might be good news. But – um In terms of the Jim Irsay interview on HBO Real Sports and then his defensiveness about it and his tweets in regards to the interpretation of it from Stephen A. Smith and other people within ESPN, your reaction to, I guess, the interview itself, and did Jim Irsay overstep anything that could either hurt the franchise or make it difficult for players to want to come play there?
6: I don't think so on the latter one. I, I think players, you know, you, yes, you're going to work for for this guy or that owner or whatever, but you, you're really getting hooked up more with the team and the locker room. In many talks, you know, somebody if, if somebody offers a player a good contract, they'll come here regardless of the owner. I, I just I just believe that. Uh, but I thought he overstepped. Sure, I, I would. That, that's one where you you like to have a, a Pete Ward or somebody take his phone away from him. Just because the only thing that anyone remembers from all of that is which right, uh he, he was profiled for being a rich white billionaire. I mean, really, uh, there, there were probably other things that were involved in him being stout the way he was. So, but when that's the only thing that you remember, uh, it, it, it's not a good thing. And then to, to get into a you know a, a fistfight with with the media over it. It's, you're not going to win. All you're doing is giving the media a, a chance to pile on it even more. So I thought it wasn't handled well. Hopefully it's behind us. It's behind the Colts. Uh, so yeah, I, I, it was it was not a good day. And then and then it extended for several days, which is never. Whenever there's there's negative news, it's never a good thing that it lingers. Mike, appreciate the time, and we will talk to you again
2: next Monday about the Colts. I know you got a lot of stuff going on, so appreciate the time today. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Hi, right, Mike Chappell again, CBS4 and WXIN. By the way, I've been in a um, pretty healthy and, and I think fun debate with Alex on X, Twitter, whatever you'll call it, who is telling me that the Colts did not intentionally tank in the suck-for-luck year. I know they're never going to admit it, right? But that was the year that – so how was how this for fun? <laughs> so in August of that year, I got hired to do an afternoon radio show with Derek Schultz. I think most people know this, right, on a different radio station. And they already had a pre-existing contractual agreement with the casino in Anderson. Great folks up there, right? Hoosier Park. And to do a cult show, like every, I think it's Wednesday was the days off then, Thursday, Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday, for two hours from four until six every Wednesday with a different player. Not typically a hard thing to do. I mean, a lot of, you know, the the roster had plenty of guys that that were willing to, to come out and do radio shows and things like that. And then... Obviously, Manning gets hurt, and the storyline becomes how long is Manning out, and we knew before the year, you know, we knew he was out for the year, right? So, we've got to do this Colts show, and it's like, well, they signed Kerry Collins, and, you know, that's fine. So, they might go, you know, 9-7, and and 10-6. Kerry Collins, a veteran quarterback, been around. Kerry Collins played one game, I think it was, and it was like this guy, holy cow, he'd rather be on his porch in Nashville like playing country songs. He doesn't want to be here. So they hand the keys over to Curtis Painter and they sign. They have like undrafted free agent David Caldwell playing safety. And they're like, they're rotating in a cornerback that they had drafted like the sixth round. And, you know, Pierre Garcon's their lead receiver. But again, the big deal being, you know, nothing against Curtis Painter, who is a super nice guy and was a good college quarterback but they made no effort to go out and get a veteran quarterback that could sustain them after they saw that Kerry Collins couldn't play. They had Mike Tepper on the offensive line, and and all of a sudden they're like 0-8. And I'm like, uh, we can't get anybody to come out to Anderson because they're 0-8. 0-6, 0-7, 0-8. I remember we had Mike Tepper, an offensive lineman, come out and do a show with us. And the entire story was about the fact that when he was at Cal, he was walking to class one day and saw some gal that was getting, like, harassed by some guy on campus. And he jumped out of the car and tried to interrupt it. And the guy drove off and ran over him. So we talked about that for 20 minutes. And then I'm like, okay, well, let's talk more about the fact that you're now 0-9, right? Now, what, what teams did you work out for? Nobody. Oh, okay, and then the Colts signed you? Yeah, okay. They,
3: and, lost to the, they lost to the Chiefs that year. It was the first time I'd seen the Chiefs win in person. And it was a picture of me and my family members with a copy of the Star that day. And it says, poof, $1.2 million in revenue lost due to Chiefs-Colts game because of how bad the Colts were at that point. They were like 0-6, right? and Kansas City finishes 7-9 and that year. But it was... The, the I mean, it was brutal, right? Awful football. Yeah. Yes.
2: And so so then we're, we're into like week 10 now, and we'd had – Darren Evans from Warren Central was on the practice squad. We'd had him out twice because um, we couldn't get – I mean, we were literally like – and Darren Evans – I mean, these guys all did a good job. Mike Tepper was fun, actually. Uh, they had a, a tight end on the practice squad that that I think was dating one of the girls in our sales department, so he came out and did a show. So they were like – Derek's like, what about the punter guy? Like, he's pretty – he's kind of funny. He's in his second year, I think, third year. And he's growing his hair out for locks of love, and he's got this like huge like, like beehive of hair. So McAfee shows up to do it, and I go, hey, listen, I'm going to have to ask you about the canal thing. And he goes, dude, you can ask me whatever you want. And so we ended up doing McAfee for the last six weeks of the year. I remember people like, the, the, the guy that punts, is like, he's actually kind of funny. I'm like, yeah, he's, he's cool. So we did McAfee to close out the year. But my long-winded point here is, they absolutely knew they were ripping off the Band-Aid. A hundred percent they knew. As soon as – you know, and then you had the playoffs that – or the Super Bowl that year was in Indy, and it was that awkward thing of like, is Manning coming back or is he hurt? What's he doing? Like, where is this going? He's got to be released by March. And everybody – it was all the talk of the Super Bowl here in Indy. And then Ursay like tweets out a picture of – like. We had a holiday par- – or a Super Bowl party last night. A good time was had by all. And it was like Mellencamp, Ursay, one of the Smothers brothers, and like Peyton Manning standing in some room together. And Manning literally looked like – he looked like the Santa Claus in a Christmas story. Like he wanted to be anywhere but there, right? All of it was just – it was literally like a 10-month bad dream. But – and so they, they end up – they know that that Manning is gone. They, the, the, you had the bonus and everything else. They ripped off the bandaid. They didn't. Jimmer Say didn't like gently peel it off. He was like, you know what? We're starting all over. And Polian was gone, and Chris Polian was gone, and Caldwell was gone, and you know they obviously brought in Grigson and Pagano and Luck, and they Polian I think absolutely knew by like week three in that year. Look, if man, it goes back to the old Tom Moore quote. Why don't you ever run the backup quarterback? Because we know that if 18 goes down, we are blanked, and we don't practice blanked. And 18 went down, and Bill Pullion's like, you know what? We're blanked. We're blanked. So there's no sense in going out and getting somebody because we have the number one pick looming, and Pullion was under the assumption he was going to be able to transition from one to the next, and obviously history said different.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
3: Well, Jake, you mentioned a little earlier... A name, I'm sure, close to uh, many Colts fans' hearts, Jim Caldwell. Well, among others, outside of their interim head coach currently, Thomas Brown and Jim Caldwell, two of the last remainings from the brief Frank Reich era. They'll be running the offense in Carolina the next six weeks. As other news, not necessarily breaking, it happened about a half hour ago. Josh McCown and Deuce Staley also shown the door in Carolina after Frank Reich's firing. So be interesting to see, without a quarterback coach, how Bryce Young looks these next couple weeks and, and where the dumpster fire that is the Panthers go here. But hey, the good news is all you got to do is keep losing and they'll be able to have a top draft. Oh, wait. No, that's right. They gave him up to go get Bryce Young. They won't have a top draft pick. That will belong to Chicago. What a dumpster fire, yes. right?
2: Yeah. To a T. By the way, I appreciate everyone that sent this to me. Okay? Very much appreciate it. But it was last night that Pro Football Talk had the story saying that a wild card candidate for Indiana could be John Gruden, although they said the University of Indiana. Tough. They must have called David Stern, who's no (laughs) longer with us, but David Stern during every NBA draft. With the 16th pick in the 1996 NBA draft, the Orlando Magic select... Brian Evans from the University of Indiana. I think that was more like the 28th pick, but still, you get the point. Um, But I'm like, if you're going to comment on John Gruden being a candidate, at least get the name of the university correct, right? I think University of Indiana is in Pennsylvania. But they had it yesterday, and, and literally all it was was it wasn't even a report. It just said like, hey, could John Gruden be a wild card candidate? Well, yes, he could. I don't think he's a legitimate candidate for Indiana, but he does have connection to Indiana. His dad coached there. And I think Gruden might have even been on the staff for like one year. Am I right in that? Or his brother like a billion years ago? But either way, I think Indiana's candidates for the head coaching job, I had heard – now from a couple of different places that pat fitzgerald could be discussed i think a lot of that just depends on how much credence you lead into you you weigh on the allegations of hazing at northwestern i mean clearly it was enough for northwestern to part ways um i don't know pat fitzgerald we had him on the show here locally and with kevin and he was really fun and he did a good job at Northwestern. A, a guy that I think whose name will also bounce around, Paul Christ, who has uh, expansive history in the Big Ten with Wisconsin, was really good. I thought it Wisconsin. Was at Pitt as well? Mike Hart, who is with Michigan, played for the Colts. His name has been bounced around. Chris Creighton, who's at Eastern Michigan. Dan Mullen, who's got head coaching experience. Um. So there are several names, and, and you'll hear other names as well that bounce around, but Uh, You know, Jimmy, you and I had both heard towards the end of the week that if Tom Allen was to be replaced, that Indiana could look towards someone who has experience within the Big Ten. I don't think that Indiana already had somebody lined up, because I think if so, we would probably know it by now. Because with each day, new jobs become open and available, and you got to grab somebody. And I know that from a money standpoint, look, Tom Allen ended up leaving with Basically for lack of specific number, estimated, you know, roughly fifteen and a half million dollars. In,
3: Two installment payments per an ESPN article that I read today, which I find just wonderful. The idea that much like if you're, you know, I don't know, paying off a refrigerator, you can also do it sure. with Tom Allen
2: leaving Indiana. The um here's the thing. Twenty point eight million was originally the buyout. Correct. Now this wasn't Tom Allen – nothing against Tom Allen because he's a nice guy. But it wasn't like Tom Allen went to Indiana and said, hey, look, Elio – and I'm I'm from here, and I'm ex- super excited because Ben Davis won a state title. So I'm feeling in a good mood. So I, just based on the holiday season, I'm going to be charitable. And just knock me down 75%. That's cool. You, you get me. It's it's. Listen, I'm giving you a Cyber Monday deal. Seventy-five percent of the cost of your buyout, twenty-five percent off. Go ahead and do it. That's not what happened. What happened was the language in Tom Allen's buyout, and this is common, is that you get the life, you get the amount of the buyout less if you were to get another job. What that salary is usually within a specific time frame. So, in Tom Allen's case you know it's 3 or 4 years or whatever it might be and he is owed 20.8 million dollars unless he gets a job 2 years from now that pays him or a year from now that pays him 2 million a year so over the course and he gets a 5 year contract so in the course of in other words he can't double up it's okay we're going to pay you 20.8 or less what you're getting paid elsewhere so you're not getting two incomes at once right what they what Indiana did is what and said here we'll make you a deal we're going to give you the equivalent of 15.5 million dollars over you know the to- the total of 15.5 over two payments with zero clause on it so if you get a job tomorrow if name a of school off the top of your head Jimmy Cook Central Michigan so if Central Michigan comes to Tom Allen and says we want to hire you as our defensive coordinator or head coach on a four-year deal for five million dollars. Great. He just made up the difference right there, and he can get the five million in addition to the money that. that so, in other words, Indiana now is they they just went clean break, clean break. Yep. And and we, you are free to see other people. You think they threw in a pair of candy stripe pants as well as a sweetener or no? Why not? Well, that's. I don't, you think I, I get the feeling Tom Crean probably took like boxes of those when he left. <laughs> yes. They don't have any extra, right? <laughs> They're like, you know, we only have so many pants for one for clapping toms, and unfortunately, we <laughs> gave them to the last one. Right? So we apologize. We do have lovely parting gifts, some Glade air freshener, and a Buffaloes gift card. Ooh, I like that last and one. 15 and $15.5 million, dollars, He right? can use that. That new Carmel location's coming soon. That's right. So no, I. But, but again, that's where that comes from, though, is the fact that now, no matter what job he gets, yeah. that the payment that he can receive does not conflict with what Indiana owes him. Now, and I do think that he probably... The, the other thing... For Tom Allen, who, who by all account, I don't know Tom Allen, but I've never met anybody who knows him well that has said anything other than he's a wonderful guy. Yes. He has some eccentricities about him that I think are a little exhausting. And I, I don't know that, I, I think he is regarded as a really good defensive coordinator coach, but I wonder if it's going to be difficult for him to get an additional head coaching job, another head coaching opportunity just because of the eccentricities being more exposed, for lack of a better phrase, of people seeing him all the time. You know what I mean? Like, Like there are certain – it's like I always say, McRibs are really good sandwiches. But part of why the really good sandwiches is because they're only available like every three months, and by the time they come back out again, you forget about you forget about the fact that by the time you had a second one, you were kind of tired of it.
3: If he gets a head coaching job in the next twenty-four months, it's not Power Five, right? I it, would It's Central Michigan, correct. right?
2: Yes, yeah, I'd agree with that. But. You know, so where does Indiana turn now? I don't know. I mean, I do think, and a lot of people gave me, uh, to use a Ted Lasso term, you know, gave me some some guff for this, and that's fine. But I do believe that Indiana, from a coaching standpoint, it's a difficult sell. And so you've got to be able to sell the the one sellable thing you have, which is that it's in the Big Ten. And, yes, the Big Ten's about to get a heck of a lot tougher. But at the same time, there is amongst coaches, I think, a thought – or a an analysis that college football is headed towards the potential of a multi-conference, super-conference thing. The Big Ten-Pac-12 merger essentially being one of them, and they're the forefront. The Big Ten has money, Jimmy, to burn, and here's why. Because the Big Ten was the first league to create its own network. And the Big Ten network was ahead of the game. And then... The ACC linked up with ESPN and created the ACC Network, and the SEC linked up with CBS and created the SEC Network, and the Pac-12 was late to the party. The Pac-12 was way late to the party, and every and and by then. Everybody already had their dancing partner. They couldn't get on the proper cable networks, and the Pac-12 was left struggling. They started the Pac-12 network. They couldn't get any in-home penetration. You had to live in Utah with a Comcast subscription to be able to see any of their games. Correct. (laughs) And so the Pac-12 got left out in the cold, right? They got totally left out in the cold. And so then the Big Ten showed itself as the visionary in the forefront on front of all of it. So now when the Big Big Ten went out and shocked everybody by getting UCLA and USC and then doubled down by getting Oregon and Washington and dissolved and started the stamp out of the Pac-12, then everybody went, oh, wow, the Big Ten's got a a trick up its sleeve again and they're ahead of everybody again. So... We need to get in there because they are building here a fort in the rainstorm that doesn't have any leak in it, and that's where I need to be. And if you are Indiana, you need to absolutely go out and sell that for other coaches of, look, we might not be a program that wins right now, but we're in a league that is known to be the winner in the totality power play of college football, and now's your chance to become part of the party.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: The Jay Cook Plays of the Day.
0: This is me, all right? I'm not a
1: athlete. F- this is my f***ing This is how I work. Today's Plays
3: of the Day, first in Monday Night Football the Chicago Bears, one of the money line over the Minnesota Vikings, even though that one is in Minnesota. That's at plus 136. Do you know who's going to be
2: watching that game? Not you. People in Chicago and
3: Minnesota. <laughs> there's a Manning cast, I might tune in.
2: Uh, Pacers, Trailblazers tonight at GameBridge. Give
3: me the Pacers over 126.5 total points. I'll also take Tyrese Hallibur, and This is points plus assists over 37.5 total of points and assists. No 80 today, so no other bets to speak of that's it
2: that's all we got okay um somebody just mentioned an interesting name for me that i've mentioned before i don't know that i've mentioned on the air but if you're indiana is it worth kicking the tires on a guy that like let's say indiana decided that they want to go cheap let's say indiana thinks to themselves you know what we got we got a budget for our next coach we can pay them up to like five million a year. I mean, I don't. I have no idea what their budget is, but let's say it's five million. Did they say, you know what? Let's take three and a half million of that and put it in the NIL portal, put it in the NIL bucket, go out and get ourselves, try to get some players. Three and a half million a year we got to spend. Well, Jake, that's fine, but what are you going to do with the million and a half? Who are you going to hire for a million and a half? Well, that's a good question. There's only two people probably that would be willing to work at a Power 5 job for a million and a half dollars. One of them is one that's about to get whacked out of, like, the MAC or the Mountain West or something, and it's desperate, right? Or the other is some guy that just got $80 to leave his last job and is sitting around like, I don't need money. I just want to prove people I can still do this. I don't think they would, like, call up Jimbo Fisher, but why not? Hey, man, AM did you dirty? You probably want to still prove you can do this. We're a power five. You got your, you know, you, you went, it's, yeah, sure. Winning in the Big Ten at Indiana ain't easy, but it's no harder than the SEC, right? So you got 79 mil. Here you go.
3: I feel like, and you tell me if I'm wrong on this, that the vibe of coaches and that fraternity, I guess, if you will, would not allow any of them to take a pay cut. And maybe this will happen someday, because it's a popular comment on national radio right now, is coaches say, hey, we need the fans to help contribute to our NIL fund while they're making $10 million a year as a head coach. Right, right. right? I wonder if a coach would ever do that, do what you're saying, lowball themselves because they don't need it or because they want to speed up the process, knowing that you're in turn hurting other coaches at the negotiating table.
2: Fair. Kind of like the... The whole running back situation in the NFL, you know, of like one, you know, some somebody's finally gonna jump through and try to get a big deal to get running backs yeah. back into the the mix of getting paid. I, you know, I get it.
3: That said, I would do that if I was a coach that was making a ton of money. Uh, yeah. Take right? a small little cut and help out getting more just, players.
2: Like I, you know, I not an original thought here, but my dream in life would be to be so good at something that people paid me eighty million to leave it. <laughs> God. I mean, it'd be awesome. Uh, J&B just walked in, and I'm sure, obviously, the conversation of Frank Reich, the Colts, and the IU coaching search will continue. How much longer a coach is going to gonna
5: make that much money, though? Because in NIL isn't it right. most important to get players in for that amount of money. You could just have some— the transfer I mean, portal, I mean, right? do you really you get some groundbreaking you know, coach? I mean, a lot of them are jackasses, so just pay them. But you got to get a coach that guys, are, that people are willing to play for, you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I mean I, I, and I, don't, what... I, I don't I think that if you give players in in coming years enough Nil money that they would play for you and I seriously so who wouldn't want to play for the two of us no oh, I'd let him go baby I'd let him go how was kiss kiss was pretty awesome I sat in the loft up there well, how so was that's the, great how was the crowd no great mm-hmm. it was great I mean it, it I it was their 27th time play here, so I, I could not help but wonder how many times Paul and Gene had hosed a number of the chicks in the, the stands. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, so, um, or how, so, how many how many kids they had in the crowd? They, yeah, they want to wear, well, right? I mean, and, and then Gene Simmons is 74, I think. Paul Stanley is 72. So they still put on a good how, show. How did they sound vocally? Uh, Paul's coming off having the flu, so you can kind of tell that a little bit. And Paul, Paul's a talker. And I, I had never seen that before, but Paul has this talk show going out there for a while between songs. Like, you could tell Gene, and I know that's just character, right? Right. Is, you know, not saying much and grunting and spitting and, you know, bu- puking up blood and stuff. But, did he puke up any blood? Oh, yeah. He spit up a little bit of blood during okay. God of Thunder. Oh, yeah. Uh, you could tell he was holding it in his mouth, though. Right. It was like me when somebody fed me Goldschlager once or Jägermeister. Oh, that's, got,
2: that's got actual gold And when everybody trips, right? turned
5: around, I'm like... Kept it up somewhere. Dumb question. Yeah. And so this is gonna show my naivety towards Kiss, yeah.
2: but um Peter Chris left a long time ago, right? Long time ago. Okay. okay. Yeah.
5: And then Ace Freely. Yes. Gene Simmons was on here with me one time. Okay. And uh said that they could not trust Ace to remain sober is the okay. the reason why. I think that was the reason behind both of them too while they're not there. What
2: would you say is Kiss's signature song?
5: Well, uh, now uh, rock and roll all night, uh, closely followed by Detroit Rock City. I was say, Detroit Rock yeah. City's way up there, right? Yeah, they did not play hotter I don't than know. hell. I always
2: like Beth, but
5: yeah, and they 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 left out a bunch of the the stuff that they had during the hair band era because they've had a you know, they've had a number of transformations um, going from you know makeup and you know rock of the. What 70s percent of to- the
2: dudes in the crowd were dressed as Kiss?
5: There are a lot. <laughs> there are a lot.
2: See, here is the thing, John. I've always said this. There are a lot of guys that will go downtown Indy during Gen Con. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, look at the dork dressed like Chewbacca. Look at the dork I dressed know. like, you know, like a wizard. And I'm like, yeah. Really? Because you wear a Peyton Manning jersey for a Colts game and he ah. hasn't played here in twelve years. Nah. Right? No, that's awesome. Yeah, that's true. And Absolutely like, true. Some guy walking down Capitol wearing a Colts helmet and, and a Colts jersey, yeah. which is fine, except for that he turns around then and makes fun of somebody else for wearing a Superman outfit to Gen Con. It
5: is the same stuff right, right there. The and the same, same as Kiss, stuff. right? Hey, can I ask you guys a question? Yep. Um what, what's uh Jimmy, you can tell me this. What's Utah's situation in the Pac-12? Where are they going?
3: They are going to the
5: I think they're going to the like T- Mountain West or some jackass conference No, out. the only like two that got out. completely left out are Oregon State and Did Washington
2: they go to the Big State. 12?
5: Did they? Yeah, Utah's going Utah's going with Colorado to the Big 12, right? I, uh, their head coach Kyle Whittingham that's his name right yep I've always been impressed with what he has done there totally agree. always been impressed now I'm not suggesting that they should look yeah, at him and he's 12. going to come here but Arizona man, Arizona State Utah and Colorado we're all going to the yep. big 12 right I, I don't know about you guys I'm not in I mean you look at all these names and you go oh, okay great I think Paul Chryst would be interesting do you man I, yeah, I don't find that interesting at all should I Sell me on it really quick. Uh, went to Wisconsin. Was at Wisconsin,
2: yeah. and I thought carried on well the, you know, the Wisconsin high level of play. I think it tapered off at the very end there, but um, what did he go to? Two Big Ten title games, I think, at Wisconsin? I could be wrong. Yeah. I thought he was good at Wisconsin. He's won like 64, 65% of his games hmm. in the Big Ten. Uh, and knows the Big Ten. I mean, I guess that would have something to do with it, too. you
5: got to have somebody that's been established and run his own program, right? You can't just hire. Like, I heard Kevin this morning talking about Antoine Randall. Oh, I love him, but holy crap got a lot to do. I mean, the well, parting Randall shot Lell, that Tom did was, you know, the NIL, and hopefully they embrace NIL with football here. I mean, it seems like you're going to have to I, I start if, to
2: build that. If Randall L. came, I think somebody like, is it Justin Fry, is that his name, would come also and run as like an associate head coach? I think ah, you'd have that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I think you'd have Mike Hart the same. Uh, who's the? What's the? And my apologies for not knowing the guy's name. Who's the guy? The interim for Michigan that just filled in for Moore. games. Yeah, he's he's another one that has been. You know, the Michigan one is interesting because he did he know, say
5: Michigan University. Though, he did, and day. I meant to yeah, bring yeah, that dude. up when
2: Jake made the University of Indiana.
5: You imagine comment. he dropped a couple yep. of University of Indiana's. Yep. It'd be all over for him. No, totally. I would. Uh, Mike Hart probably would be better long run <laughs> right. here than than he would. I, so Utah's going to the Big Twelve. That's yeah. going to be a sucky conference. I mean, what the hell? Jump in here. You know, where's Dolson? Scratch out another big check and bring that that guy. I think he would. take I big think, time, think that money, guy's. It would. It would. I mean, it's it's stupid. It's stupid for me to even
2: bring. I it would up. think if you're if you're him at Utah, you're probably looking to the next level of like those ten schools that are the most elite, right? I mean, the yeah. the, the
5: upper upper echelon schools. to get a bunch of wives there too. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That, that's something we not we don't have we don't have legalized weed or multiple wives. Which I guess is a good thing, probably. Well, here's sometimes thing. one is, sometimes one is too Indiana much. The state of Indiana will absolutely have, legal, have multiple wives before Legalized <laughs> weed. I guarantee, you, go that. Go guarantee you that.
1: Guarantee you that, right? And,
5: and, by, and, and we're watching all that money go all around of us course. right here. Every state so around. Why, why are all these people money? driving to Illinois, Michigan and Ohio yeah, every weekend? All what all in the hell money? is going on? All these tight asses boy, we have we, legislating we, around here don't know anything. And
2: we sold off the toll bridges that or the toll
5: roads that we're supposed
2: to get them there. So we got no income coming uh, Kentucky in. Kentucky beat
5: us to the punch on that. Can you imagine? I know. I know. Right.
2: All right. John's up next. to will bring you home. We will talk to you tomorrow at noon. Thanks
1: for listening, everybody.